0: you know, I think a little bit of being surprised by the level of success, you know, in this, you see this all over. It's the classic MMO example of the servers get clogged and then they break because you didn't expect so many people to buy it. And, you know, so it was a good problem to have. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, maybe it's time to start talking about corpses. <laughs> God. <laughs> Hi everybody, this is Soren Johnson and you're listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today we are talking to veteran game designer Tyler Sigman. Tyler is a co-founder of Red Hook Studios and is best known for his work on the DS version of Age of Kings, Horde, and Darkest Dungeon.
0: Yeah, and then we we ended up getting talent acquired, basically. And so we ended up working on other stuff. And so we never made it back to work on more horde, but, um, you got still talent acquired. What does that mean? Big sandwich got talent acquired. Like, um, you got bought like aqua or basically, yeah, we, we got bought, but, um, gosh, I'm trying to think what I'm allowed to talk about. Uh, okay. essentially everyone that was at big sandwich, uh-huh. um, started working for a new Vancouver mobile studio called Z two games live, which was affiliated, which was owned by Z two games in Seattle. Okay. And and so uh, and then we started working on mobile games. So okay. we became a new company.
1: So they basically got all of your employees without officially buying big sandwich or something like that. Yeah, all of us started
0: working for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and what was the company? Uh, Z two, it's called. Okay. And they yeah, they're Seattle based. They make uh, Battle Nations, Metal Storm, Trade Nations have been mobile mobile game hits. Um, Were you had you been trying to? pitch something else instead after horde to like not do that or uh we were yeah we were trying to pitch stuff um and you know it just ha- didn't, it just didn't work out. having the same same issues in a yeah. way and uh horde did well enough to pay us back for everything we had risked but not well enough to, f- to fund the next one ourselves you know uh, yeah. ourselves and um and this this was an opportunity of kind of uh that's the best way to look at it. i think it was an opportunity of, of stability and um, you know, draw a regular salary and also mobile was growing and big and it was a neat challenge. So I mean there was interest for sure too. Um and so then we worked on Yeah, we we What were the games? What were the games like? Uh so we did we did a game called um Racecraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, Nitro. <laughs> Racecraft was working title. Okay. Nitro. It was. It was a racing game. So this is where I was saying I, I always have to do a racing game in between. Wow, you really have so, to. So Age of Empires games. to the Sonic Racing uh-huh. Game, Monster Lab to the Sky Pirates Racing Game, Horde to Nitro. Okay. Um, you know, it, it's just hilarious. So suddenly I'm trying to learn how to model car car dynamics, and uh, and so yeah, we we were about. Um, we, we literally took off the big sandwich sticker on the door and put up the Z2 live games, Vancouver uh, sticker, yeah. <laughs> stayed in the same space. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. And, uh,
1: and was this back back when like a mobile game would have been a paid, it would have been a paid game. Like,
0: no, there was, they were doing all they were free to oh, play. Yeah. Okay. I was already, happening. this was 2012. Oh, that was not that. No, not very long ago. Not that long. We got, yeah, this happened in, we got acquired t- in February, 2012. Okay. And, uh. Okay, so you're making a free to play racing mobile free play racing mobile game uh-huh. for iOS, and uh, Glenn. So Glenn Barnes, who had been the president of Big Sandwich, and then I was I was basically the um, I became the the VP, and a, you know certainly design director, and then would also like help with finance and produ- pr- production and stuff like that. Um, so Glenn and I became the co studio leads. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up leaving a couple months later. He had a new child or something. Mm-hmm. And so I became the studio uh, the studio head mm-hmm. and uh you know we had a team of I don't know 10 or 15 mm-hmm. yeah, 15ish and we're making yeah we're making Nitro which I wonder if you can still get um okay but so it came out uh, Yeah oh yeah it came out um we when we launched into test market it got it got millions of organic downloads which was cool mm-hmm. um but uh yeah, what was it? So, we got acquired in February 2012, and I left in April 2013. To mm. and then started Red Hook with Chris. Okay. Did it come out after you? It left? came out right before I left. Right before I left. Okay. Yeah. So you shipped the game. Shipped the game. And, yeah. And it was just kind of like you didn't want to like, you didn't want to keep working on mobile games or. You know, it, it, what's the again? I have to think of what. Um, what were you actually thinking at the time? Well, no, I have to think of what I'm allowed to say. Oh, okay. I think it was mutually, yeah. It was just mutually agreed that, <laughs> and uh, and Chris and I saw our opportunity to. Um, well, you obviously wanted to do something different, otherwise the whole thing.
1: Wouldn't, well, whatever. Anyway, yeah, you left. Yeah, and I
0: left, and um, and actually, you know, Z two ended up getting acquired recently by King. And then King know. got acquired by Activision. <laughs> so it's this funny, like, fish-eating fish sort of thing. Wow, that's weird. I actually didn't even know Activision bought King. Yeah, Activision and King merged or bought or something Oh, fairly recently. Me? Just, just like, I guess, not I that many months ago. Um, Maybe I remember that, man. I just... Yeah. And King bought Z2. You know, Z2, <laughs> I think, yeah, had had made a few, uh, you know, hit games. Yeah. Um, uh relatively early in the iOS cycle and and had you know quite a bit of capacity and anyway so you could um, be
1: working for Activision today so. yeah
0: yeah and it's you know it was a bummer I really really loved my team mm-hmm. um because a lot of them you know some were big sandwich people and then I hired you know other people and you know it was a really good experience in a way and, and uh, really tough in some other ways um and you know I think it, it was just um but it was not the place to remain um, yeah, for various reasons. And so Chris had also just, he had been contra- he had been con- doing tons of contract consulting art and concept art. And then, um, I think had like been working for a pretty high profile client in Vancouver that was trying to get a game greenlit and was doing a ton of stuff there. It didn't get greenlit and that all happened at the same time. It's like, Hey,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, I'm leaving this company and he's like, Hey, this, this project that I was really hoping was basically going to be the next two years of my life didn't get greenlit and we're like we had we'd already been talking about darkest dungeon for a long time but we're like this is the moment i guess because how had bu- you been talking about it before like um chris like, what did you guys think it was at that point like uh, we had a really really good idea of what the game should be so it was originally chris's idea mm-hmm. and you know chris and, and i would
1: just get together from time yeah to
0: time we'd get like, together and shoot the shit over game ideas yeah and you know i come with a game idea, he'd come with a game idea
1: okay so where did it, where did it first start then like,
0: what was the very beginning of it? Uh, just, um, it was Chris thinking about how, like, somewhere along the way, you know, the, the idea of, like, what the hero is was forgotten, where, um, like, we're all so obsessed with their gear mm-hmm. and, you know, et cetera, that, that we've lost, like, the, we've we've lost the perspective like, what would it be like to be a hero? It might be terrible. It right. might, you know... And there's got to be something – a nugget of interest there of – I can't even remember now like the first. But immediately, you know, I started tapping into like all my pen and paper days Mm -hmm. and thinking like these are all the sorts of things that happen in a pen and paper game. You know, if you have a good DM and good role players, like people role play being afraid. People role play being crazy zealous. Mm. People role play – you know, like that – you know, like, you create these, you intentionally create these situations of imperfect heroes. Whereas most RPGs seem to kind of, like, um, gloss over that. Mm-hmm. You know, most, not all. Obviously, there's things like, you know, in Baldur's Gay, there's the, you know, Minsk, the crazy Minsk with right. his hamster. And, you know, he so had a lot of personality, but there's still, you tell them what to do. And they do it. And, you know, they do it unless they f- fail a fear check, maybe, or have mm-hmm. a fear spell cast on them. And we wanted to go far beyond fear, like... And the, more or less,
1: they also are always getting better, basically, yeah, um yeah, we're always getting better,
0: I don't you need the basically, um so yeah, anyway, go ahead, and there was just so much, you know, I can't remember exactly the first discussion super well, but
1: but it was was it also all all visioned as like a
0: party based dungeon crawl, like was that you know we just the... talked really loosely at the beginning, okay. like um. I mean, yeah, we knew it would be an RPG, but I I think we we talked anecdotally, Mm -hmm. you know, what would it, and we got pretty dark. I mean, we were thinking some pretty dark stuff that didn't make it into the game, and I'm glad we didn't, you know, um, just, you know, like the full range of human activities and just things people do to each other, and, you know, what if you had an RPG that's just really challenging all that, this idea that, you know, they're not good, you know, you In the same way, you know, it's really easy to think of the analog of just, I guess, soldiers at war. I mean, you know, some pretty horrific stuff happens, not just people fighting each other, but, you know. You know, there's – we ask a lot of people to do some pretty tough things and not all those people are great people, although I obviously am grateful and respect. You know, so it's just – exploring that and you know there's many examples in drama you know watch platoon watch mm-hmm. full metal jacket watch you know or, or watch the thing or aliens or yeah. it's not all related to soldiers yeah.
1: um, that's interesting because darkest dungeon I mean it it feels like it's it feels like it's a gamey game right mm-hmm. like it's it's got it's got some gameplay right mm-hmm. like it's definitely yeah. got a lot of gameplay yeah, yeah. in there but you the, you guys began it, it, it began very conceptually
0: very thematically right and Honestly, that's the way I like to start from design. Even though, like, I'm a systems designer, I get inspired about an idea. Like, I like crows. I love crows as a bird. Okay, and then I made the crows tile board game that got mm-hmm. published. Um, so usually for me, it starts with being excited, and then I suppose if there's, like I mentioned, I'm terrible at level design or whatever else. You know, if there's a strength for me, I guess, or something I enjoy doing, maybe that's a better way of putting it is. Taking mechanic and the, or taking a theme and then letting that theme just start inspiring mechanics. Like, what mm-hmm. would like for the dragon theme? It was about a dragon being weak, a hatchling to powerful, and then it becomes like mechanically, how would that work? Well, there are, dragons like gold. Why do they like gold? Well, it's just kind of mythology. It's kind of almost a joke, and they like princesses. And then, so in horde, you know, the more gold you had, that's that's your score as a dragon, yeah. and so you level up based on your gold, um, and. You know, you collect princesses for conversation and, you know, the more shinies, the more powerful of a dragon you are. And so the same way with darkest Dungeon, it was what if your best fighter, you know, was terrified to finish the fight? What if your priest was an alcoholic? What if, you know, um, what if your best damage dealer abused all the other party members? You know, and you need them in there for that role, but at what cost? Mm-hmm. And so those anecdotes are definitely what inspired the mechanics. I mean, it was very – at that point, there was no concept of like, how do we do the affliction system? It was just that characters respond to stress in these terrible ways. And mm-hmm. we want to put you in these situations that are, are, are even taboo. You know, We were just kind of talking about some really dark stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and then you start blocking it out. Like, okay, well, like, are we talking ISO? Are we talking top-down with this one one character, four characters, six characters, you know, um, mission-based? And so it's not like it all, you know, it was just anecdotes that drove it. And it took a long time to, you know, figure out everything else, including even the story. I mean, hell, even the story of the ancestor sends you his letter and you come and you inherit this estate and it's all gone to hell. I mean, all that came way later Yeah. Um, after we had just come up with the idea of this gritty... Gothic mm-hmm. RPG. So the the Lovecraftian aspect, like, did you guys? Have you guys
1: actually read a lot mm-hmm. of Lovecraft? Both, yeah. both of you? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Bef- before you even started the project. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Read and read and listened and um, yeah, for sure. And I think that even didn't come in until I think it was still just thinking about, you know, what if your fighter becomes a terrible person? What if your mm-hmm. and then it was like, well. The concept of cosmic horror, Mm. the concept of human failings, the darkness, the grittiness, the just fear, you know, all that. Then it was like, oh, it became more and more Lovecraftian over time, Mm. as opposed to going like, let's do a Lovecraft game. Mm. Um, And of course, people, you know, the obvious comparison is like, oh, you just lifted it from Call of Cthulhu. And I was like, no, like, we weren't even thinking sanity. We were thinking bad things humans do. Mm Because sanity, like, in the way it's always been implemented is just like you know, the sliding scale of full control to just like maybe committing suicide.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And we weren't fascinated by that. We were famid- fascinated by, you know, the alcoholic priest that abuses the, you know, the grave robber or like, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And and the, it, it was a much wider range of human emotion and activity that we were looking into. And so we, re- we ended up arriving at a stress meter. Um But I think, you know, that it goes way beyond sanity. And so that's where kind of like Lovecraft – is just about the sanity of contemplating the, the, the cosmic horror, and we're more about just being an adventurer. Is really tough, but then Lovecraft was a great way to start mounting the the, sure. the, the, monsters, the monsters and stuff like yes. that. I think yeah. it really gelled when you made the first trailer, and like at the end, you're confronting this shambling beast, and then we just became more and more Lovecraftian.
1: Also, yeah. well, I mean, Lovecraft has influenced video games and or just games in general mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But at this point, I think was, for a lot of people, there the the, the the ways that Lovecraft has influenced them at this point is basically kind of secondhand. It's been filtered through a lot of other stuff. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was curious, like, if you guys really worked you through worked your way through the prose itself directly.
0: Um, yeah, we did, and um, you know that that definitely was, you know, the more and more we could kind of like draw from that was definitely good. Although we never wanted to set out and make it specifically Lovecraftian, but no, we we pay homage for sure in, in the same way like people say wait, you knocked off Mike Mignola's art. And Chris will be like, Mignola is an influence. So was Guy Davis. So was Victor Kavachev, And there's no hiding from like these mm-hmm. things that have been incredibly creatively inspiring, you know? Yeah. So yeah, Lovecraft definitely added a lot of texture. And of course, like Lovecraft and Poe and, and the Pulper, the language, the overwrought language yeah. and, you know, just the the feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, cool. Well,
1: let's so let's jump back then to like once. So you guys, you had you had your height concept. So how did you then start making these decisions about like mm-hmm. how big the party should be, what <laughs> what the loop should be? You know, you're oh, going man. you're going through the dungeons, you're going back to the town. You're the stress meter. Like when mm-hmm. how did you
0: decide on that? Iteratively over many discussions. I mean, that's obvious, but I, what I mean is like. So once we got past anecdotes um, – and the reason Chris and I wanted to pair together in the first place is like, yeah, I love systems and board game design and just – and, and you know, he's really great at the narrative and the presentation and kind of the high level. And so we're just like, yeah, this is a fit. Like, you know, I – because I always felt like I can design the, the crap out of one of those ideas. Like, I can break it into the systems. Mm-hmm. And so we would kind of talk back and forth about the things we wanted to be able to accomplish and then – um So, for example, okay, your guys, like, they they get stressed out and then they do these horrific actions. Then you come back to town and you got to have a way to blow off steam, like shore leave, you know, with sailors or whatever. So that means, okay, what do people do to blow off steam? They drink, they gamble, they whore, they, you know, they go to church. Some people, you know, find peace that way. They, You know, and then, um, you know, and then we start batting ideas and we're like, town should be board gamey. It, you know, I, I, I very quickly in my head I saw it as like – I was thinking of board games like Pl- Princes of Florence mm-hmm. or Puerto Rico or something where there's like a grid and you build little buildings. And so I just thought, you know, it's like it, it should be these little buildings. You know, you build a little church, build a little tavern. Well, yeah, when you say board gamey, what do you mean exactly? I mean – to define that? Yeah. I mean like um, I guess I think of like cardboard counters mm-hmm. or like chipboard. You know, so – uh so, yeah, Princess of Florence or something. There's like everyone has a little estate and then you b- build fountains and hedges and, you know, things that inspire uh, your your little uh, – and people can look up the board game. But, you know, you're, you're placing little like Tetris-like shapes in your yeah. little estate. And so if, I think board games are all about a play field and then components. Mm. Whereas video games, it gets, especially when you're talking 3D, I don't think of it as componentized. Right. And so – so it's yeah. like
1: you're dragging the guy right like and you go to the tavern and you're dragging yeah. your character yeah right there's into a little slot
0: right yeah i was thinking like if i did it as a board game i would start with like a little hex or a grid paper mm-hmm. and then i would have these like counters one for a tavern one for a church or maybe you know the idea is like could you build onto the church so you, you buy and purchase the church and put it on there and then you have a dude in your roster and you put him on the church mm-hmm. you know and there's a dude on the church so he's occupying that spot so no one else can go there um simplifying it, you know, and making it kind of componentized there, as opposed to, say, like, uh, World of Warcraft, where you you walk into the guild, and you walk over to the guild master. Meanwhile, there's other people that you could talk to, but you walk, and you talk to the guild master, and you say, you know, or in this case, sorry, you walk into the bar, you walk to the barkeep, and you say, buy me a drink, and then your stress meter goes down. I was thinking more like character unit, or character counter on bar counter, Mm -hmm. you know, action happens. um, And also, that was, we We originally, it's crazy. When we originally started talking about the game, Chris and I are like, yeah, you and I will do this in a year. You know, I'll co- I'll code it. Game maker Chris will draw the art mm-hmm. and we'll do it like really simple, low scope, you know, no, no crazy animation, just like everything's just really essentially built like a board game. Right. Um, and it, it, it was a long organic process where we. Gradually got more and more committed to the idea of of really selling it out, and you know, and spending two and a half, three years on the game instead of twelve months, um, and doing you know these side-on poses and everything. It was going to be, I've got reference images somewhere, but it was it was going to look very board gamey. Yeah, even even in even in the dungeons, you know, it's going to look like like a Warhammer quest level or something. Right. Yeah, okay. Um... So then breaking down the systems. Um, yeah, just that sort of thing, like thinking, okay, well, treatment in town, if town's very kind of modular and board gamey, so there's buildings, there's a limit to your buildings, you can upgrade the buildings, each building does a different thing. Um, the affliction system, you know, just played around the idea and eventually kind of arrived, like, we have to track stress. Right. And so that, what about a stress meter? Right. Like, is that too boring? We were really worried it was going to be too boring. But then eventually realized that, no, we need to expose this. We need to see that when... Would it used to be hidden? Um, we just talked about it. Okay. Yeah, we talked about, like, maybe this should be hidden. Because we don't want to... You know, it's very common, like, Chris and I, attention we have, too, is I'll want to show everything. He'll want to show nothing. <laughs> sure. And, you know, like, let's not let's not mess with the art. Let's let the art shine. Uh, but also, in his defense, from a play experience, like... You know, he's more a fan of like this narrative play experience of um, emotional engagement where I, I'm like, oh, it's a tactics game. I want to know exactly what my stats are and attack. Right. And so, yeah, we, we talked a lot about um, maybe the characters just talk as they get more and more stressed out. Maybe we graphically show a little bit. But we arrived at a stress meter, um, which I think was really important. So affliction, yeah, I don't know. It just like seemed like a logical system of stress builds. There's some threshold. Um, when the threshold happens, that's when people flip out because, I mean, that's what you see. Honestly, try to think about real life, like people, their stress builds and builds and then they do something, you know, crazy. They throw a beer bottle through a window or they punch somebody or they cry or, you know, and, and so there's a threshold, uh, effect there mm-hmm. and then mapping out the afflictions. We're like, okay, it's not like I said, we need seven. We We're just like, what are people? Well, they're you mentioned
1: that in the, <laughs> in the, in the talk you did, uh, this year, uh, at GDC, for reference to whenever this gets published. <laughs> yeah, whenever it is. GDC 16. Right. <laughs> um And I didn't fully understand because, like, I, have you know, when playing the game, I see, like, 100 afflictions, right? Oh. Uh, like, I mean, I just see lots of stuff that comes up. Afflictions oh,
0: yeah. means the stuff, that the negative traits. No, those are cure. quirks. Those are quirks. Those okay. are quirks, yeah. So we have... Affliction, what are the afflictions? Okay, afflictions. When your stress hits a hundred, uh-huh. you become in a in a temporary state of being afflicted. Oh, okay. That, so give me some examples, then I'll. Leave uh, fear, a uh, hopeless paranoia, okay. Okay. irrationality, abusiveness, masochism, selfishness. I don't remember if we're at seven yet. Um, whereas quirks are like, I have an eagle eye. Right. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I have an unquiet mind. So quirks. And those are transparent. Like he tell you exactly what they. Uh, are. not all of them. so you'll mouse over them. And it'll be like yeah. This so, does something. Yes. So some of them will say like like eagle eye. It'll be like plus five accuracy ranged yeah. attacks. Um, and then you'll see like um. Hagia Hagia Mania or something, and it'll mm-hmm. say obsessed with sainthood. Right. And then you're like, what does that mean? And then you're cruising through the dungeon and you see like a religious statue and they're like, I want to see this. You're like, no, don't do it. And they do it on their own. So, yeah, we played around with um, not being completely. And so the difference between afflictions also and quirks, the easy way to remember is afflictions are a temporary state that goes away. Quirks are permanent until something replaces it or you remove it.
1: Okay. And you didn't spell out what afflictions mean. Because I don't, I've I've seen those things, but I don't Mm. necessarily know what each of those things means.
0: Correct. We, we. Let them happen and then you observe your little ant farm and see see what occurs. We do expose the stat. Like once you're, say, irrational, you can comb over your stats and you'll see what it did to your stats. But you won't know what else they're going to do. You won't go so to know. if that affects how much damage you would do to
1: a creature, yeah, you'll, you'll see, see that when you mouse over the yeah. creatures and whatnot. Okay.
0: Might, yeah. Um, but you won't know, for example. So a good example is maybe abusiveness. Um, You'll see this. You'll see, oh, I have a damage bonus. He's like really angry and abusive right now. Um, But then, like, let's say your Vestal, the healer, is abusive, and then you go to heal someone, and she'll say something like, like, um, their weak fighting has earned them this wound. Let them stew on it, or something. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're like, what? Uh, Mm -hmm. Oh no, when a healer is abusive, they won't help people. Um, Or in camping, you know, they'll refuse to use a helpful skill or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, or, or, um, a paranoid uh, hero, you know, who's in the front might just like run backwards or for, or uh, sorry, an afraid hero. So those sorts of things. So we want you to. We always want you to feel like, well, I know some things they do. What else they're gonna do? How's this gonna affect me? And eventually, you learn them all. But yeah, we don't so, tabulate them for you. Yeah.
1: So that's tricky. That's a big high level of design philosophy thing, mm-hmm. of like, especially nowadays when, like, I assume there are. There's at least not, you know a number of design you know Darkest Dungeon wikis where you can go and find mm-hmm. what yeah. you know, each one of these means and what, they, what <laughs> they mean for everything you know for every character in every situation, mm-hmm. like like is it it's a you can't hide thing. you can't really hide it so well like, I mean do you, do you care about that or not like what how do you how do you view that
0: you know i think, it's- I think it,
1: it, and also especially uh, the, the thing i was when i first was thinking about this i was thinking more is also about this things where when you're exploring through a dungeon you'll come mm-hmm. upon situations where if you use yes a specific item you'll get something better
0: the curious
1: yeah and once people find out about that that's right. really i think the thing that sucks them to the wiki because they're just like yes. i just want to know what it is no right? totally so like, is that the right tra- anyway go ahead
0: Yeah, I love this. I love this question because it's actually two different answers for each – or a different answer for both parts of those. Okay. Um, The afflictions, yeah, I think we're both aligned. Both Chris and I were aligned that a lot of it should be you you need to discover it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that you can go out on the web and find it still doesn't – I think is okay because um, most – a lot of people won't or at least won't initially, you'll still, you'll still have that initial experience of like, wow, this happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's just too much information in the game. Like, let's say you like bought dark dungeon, You're like, okay, I want to know what I'm doing before I get into this. It's just too much to comprehend. And so I think no matter what, you're going to be surprised the first few times with afflictions and that we want you to have that experience. We want you to feel tickled, surprised, maybe a little uneasy and certainly surprised in the sense of like, wow, this game has some things going on that I haven't experienced in other games. Um, from a, from a a perspective of of hooking you to the product, I'm not mm. trying to pat ourselves on the back. I more mean, you know, if there's not moments where you're like, wow, that's interesting, mm. you know, then like, you know, you may never play the game again. Um, and I don't mind so much that then as you get familiar with the mechanics, maybe you understand, you have the context, then you go do a little more research. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for afflictions, it was really important for us not to, yeah, to obfuscate some of it. Curios, which are our name we give for interactive objects in the dungeons. Mm -hmm. So you come in on an Iron Maiden, Mm -hmm. you open it, and sometimes it's like, oh, you got tetanus, (laughs) or you found loot. You know, there's a corpse in there and it had had something. Um, No, I absolutely, and this is a fight we had a lot, and we ultimately just didn't agree on and also didn't really have the resources to do it. Um, I absolutely, absolutely, 100% think that the first time you use a curio, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And if you, every time you use it, you get a different result. It fills in a the data. There should be like, you should be able to like somehow right click on the Iron Main and see what you've observed so far. Like, okay, so like you, I've gotten tetanus. There's discovery, I've but gotten, the game will help you remember. Yes, exactly. Like discovery. to me, it's too much to remember. Um, there's a bunch of curios. There's a bunch of different results. We, we allow you to use items on the curios like, Oh, you use Medicinal herbs and the iron main it cleanses it, you won't get tetanus. Um, That's way too much to remember, and it absolutely should fill it in, in my opinion. And we just you know, we we didn't really agree, and then we never really uh, had time to do it anyway. Never implemented, right. We thought about it a few times, and I was saving it as a fight for the end, and we just never, you know. <laughs> so it's <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, well, you know, there's times you you kind of spar, yeah, and then you're like retreat to your corners, right? right. And uh, you know, and and it's, we would. It's not the time to. Yeah, we would. As we as would, as... It's funny. We would experience. This would happen throughout development on things. We would spar, and sometimes. One of us would knock the other to the mat or, or honestly we'd spar and the other person would say, yep, like you got, you won me over. Mm -hmm. And so then we would do this horse trading too of like, okay, (laughs) so I will give you this, but you got to give me this thing. we literally did that a few times. (laughs) It was was pretty funny. Um, It's a little bit of the two headed monster problem. I mean, but by the same token, I think we, we, the two headed monster helped us a lot.
1: Yeah. You had an interesting tension between the two of you Mm -hmm. where you know, probably if you went all one way the whole time through the project, like, yeah, it probably wouldn't have been the best.
0: right? No, so. it, we've we've had to casually eye, even like tensions were pretty high, and of course we're trying to finish. And you know, since the game's finished, you know, we've casually eyed each other and been like, "I don't agree with everything you do," but we made a better game together than we would apart. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> right. um, so you know, for me, like one of the, one of the corpses on the battlefield is is the uh, is the fact that there's not a curial reference because like. Yeah, just for me, like I don't even remember. I would have to go to the wiki. Like yeah. I can't remember what does what and yeah. where. Well, that sounds um, like
1: a, that sounds like a great solution because I'm pretty sure that like you know if I if I dive back into the game, I'm gonna start using the wiki for that because that yeah. just to me that just seems kind of I wouldn't say unfair, but just kind of a little annoying. It's burdensome. Yeah, but if it was actually recording it for me at that point, I'd be like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'm on board mm-hmm. with this. I'll you know. No, I'll write it through.
0: Yeah. I don't even think Nestor Chris was completely opposed to it. It's just like, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those things where um, even. Actually, moon names are a good example where we did a lot of horse trading. Uh, same thing for moon, a long time. Moon what? Move names for the enemies. Sorry, move skill, or not move. Uh, enemy skills, okay. combat skills. Okay. Um. So for a long time, until really very close to the end of early access, uh, <clears throat> There's no way you can, like, other than the wiki, look mm-hmm. up and see what does a Bone Courtier do. You okay. just have to remember. Oh, he does this Tempting Goblet, and he does this other oh, thing. Oh,
1: right, you can't figure out what they. You can't
0: see the what they do. Country, you yeah. have to just remember. Oh, the Unclean Giant has this tree branch thing, or and so this is difficult because some of them you have to remember, like, oh, this guy can only do it from this position, so it's good to knock this pig back into fourth oh, wow. place. That is complicated. And there's no, there was no, and only at the very end did we add. Um, we didn't even add full. But at least keeps track of their move names, mm. so you'll see like the first time you observe Tempting Goblet. Now, when you mouse over a Bone Cortia, you'll see Tempting Goblet. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to blow it out and do like you mouse over that and you see you see their prerequisite. You know, just in the same way as a hero skill. And it became a UI problem, to be honest. Uh, yeah, you've got some well. pretty
1: hefty tooltips. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, I can't. <laughs> I I don't – I mean there's obviously a lot going on and I think maybe there's too much going on because it seems like there's no way you could write one tooltip that like would explain all that in there without like having a manual. Have you – do you know
0: what – do you know the game At The Gates? No, John Schaefer's working on John Schaefer. Oh, sorry, uh, I don't know anything about it, but uh, yeah. we were on. A, I think we were on that Three Moves Ahead podcast together. The three oh, yeah, of us, yeah, yeah,
1: sure, for early access. Yeah, yeah where I was, yeah, like, where he, I was like trying to convince him to go to go early access. Yeah,
0: he's he's very
1: like I'll burn before I do yeah, early I mean, access, he, right? He, yeah. he dug in his heels, but um, so for his game, he's implemented something that I um, I will definitely be doing the next time I do a turn based game. Which is that his tooltips have tooltips? Oh, cool! Yeah, how does he do it? I mean, he just does it. I don't know how So he it's d- nesting. Well, yeah. So like you mouse over a tooltip, and every yeah. you know, there's basically there's a lot of stuff in a tooltip that's a keyword. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like yeah, it yeah, refers yeah, yeah. to it's a proper noun. Definitely, right. It refers yeah. to something. So anything so you, things, in tip, you, then you mouse over, you can mouse over that. There's a dual tooltip. Yeah. And then you can you can just you can just keep going. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like anything with programming, like once there's like <laughs> there's like one, and then there's n plus one. And once you get n plus one, you can just keep going. So it's funny You can like literally fill up the whole screen with.
0: Tool so that's we would have had to do with the combat skills and I remember it was like I had picked the right time to come back with this like I said of like set a little trap and came back Chris on like alright we need to do the enemy move names and he's like okay and I was like and with full stats he's like but we can't do that we'd have to nest a tooltip and the program's like yeah that's going to take time and you know we're like okay you give me the move names I won't ask for the nested (laughs) tooltip you know and you know I I joke but (sighs) it was a real tension. And, you know, there were times when like the first version of a tooltip would have like nine lines and Chris would just look at it and freak out, you know, you know, and it's not like I was happy with nine lines. I wanted to figure out a way to like make it better. Um, and sometimes my first approach would be unnecessarily pedantic where every piece of information is in there. And then, you know, upon second and third iteration, I'd realize like, oh, actually we don't, that's obvious, or that doesn't need said, or that could be omitted, or, um, and so that tension was really hopeful. It just was tough, and there were there were were times where we fought about tooltips, and you know, like real fights. I mean, not fighting, but you know, I mean, like like actually upset with each other, you know. And he'd accuse me of wanting to tooltip the entire game, and I'd accuse him of like. He would only be happy if the game had no information at all and was just pure art. And every time, like... You are erecting big straw mans. So, yeah, you know, yes. basically, <laughs> and, uh. and so, like, then then I remember one time saying, like, guys, I'm serious. If you were harass me about the tool tooltips, like, about... Uh, or, like, call me, you know, make fun of just the fact that I want tool tooltips. I don't just want tooltips. If you can help me solve another way to show the information. Mm -hmm. And that was really useful. There were times that, you know, when we got better about just like figuring out our flow is like, I'd kind of give Chris a mock-up of the things that I think should be shown. And sometimes he'd be able to figure out a way that it didn't need to be like this crazy obtrusive thing. He'd say, Oh, what if we did it like this? Like, Oh yeah, that works. Yeah.
1: I mean, I played it a year apart. Like I played it when it mm-hmm. came out and then I played it right around when you guys released it. And it's hard for me to remember exactly what's changed, but it definitely feels like there was a little more information in context. Yeah. about like what was going to happen to the the, the yeah. monsters and how much how much damage they could take and what could happen to them as opposed yep. to like Trying to understand, but you know everything that was in the tooltip, having said
0: that, there are still <laughs> these tooltips where i don 't understand yeah, no. that, that's listed. <laughs> well, so. someone get pretty unwieldy or have like just language that when construct because a lot of it, some it would be like procedural you know like it, like the Kier pro- or Pierre the programs will be looking at the attributes and then construct the tooltip yep, dynamically yep, and then it just ends up in this like while in combat colon you know self colon blah, 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 you know, and whatever. But, yeah, we tried to improve and we definitely throughout early access improved. Yeah. And I think you still look at it, there's definitely some problems, but it, it improved throughout. And some of those things are forgotten that, you know, when you look back, and like, oh, God, that was way worse. I have, I have um, a good
1: anecdote that you'll probably appreciate about dynamic tooltips, oh, yeah. which is that um, for Civ 4... You know, that was that was my approach as well. Okay, the tooltips have to be generated dynamically mm-hmm. completely. Like, I'm not going to write... I'm not going to handwrite all the tooltips for every mm-hmm. building and unit and tech all in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Not just because I don't want to do that, but I also, like, really care about making mods. Oh, right? yeah, And totally. so with the, with the mod, like, that's what you want. You need dynamic tooltips. So, like, whatever people come up with is going to go. So, um, you know, so there might be... Um, so there's religion in the game, right? <laughs> and the... You, you don't just make a temple. You make a Buddhist temple, a Christian mm-hmm. temple, Hindu temple, etc. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, like, in the XML, those are actually different elements. Like, there are seven different temple yeah, temples, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, what that means is, is that, you know, buildings get unlocked by technologies, right? You mouse over, uh, I don't know, masonry and it says can build walls, mm-hmm. right, dynamically. So, the problem with... The religious buildings is if you mouse over, the, you know, there's something that unlocked building a temple. It's probably priesthood, right? You oh, mouse yeah. over priesthood, and it will say, "Can build Jewish temple, can yeah, build Christian oh, yes, temple, yes, yes. Build... <laughs> And it's just like it's like, oh. So I actually made like a special thing just for that one problem. Oh, yeah. that there's like this concept, I think it's called special buildings, oh, yeah. which is like a special tag that groups all of the temples together <laughs> and groups all the monasteries. So like in that yeah. one case, like in the XML for... Build all religious for, buildings or yeah, something. Yeah, the, in the XML <laughs> for priesthood, it doesn't unlock the, the temples, yeah. it unlocks the special building type temple, and then it knows to unlock all the buildings <laughs> that have that tag. And like, I didn't do that for
0: gameplay, for game code reasons <laughs> at all. It was just to support... Procedural tooltips. Yeah. so And that's the kind of thing, like, what would have happened would, you know, in the thick of development would be, you know, in that scenario, I would talk to the programmer, okay, we need a tooltip to show you can build a temple. The first version would have all seven religions. Chris would come in in the morning, (laughs) boot it up, see, and then come to me and just be like... What are you thinking? And then I'd be like, "Don't accuse me of this. I don't want all seven. I didn't. You know, like I just wanted to know they can build a temple. And then you know we'd be all heated. And uh, yeah, it's funny. So the things you argue about, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So I think UI. It's funny. I had it in the talk actually, and I cut it at the last minute. Was I put what went wrong was you with was UI? But the more I thought about it, I don't think it was fair. I just think that we we had a lot of learnings, which are that um, neither Chris nor I like doing UI. Um, mm-hmm. UI itself is a highly specialized skill, Yeah, you know, that people in their entire jobs are UI, UX designer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of being a designer involves that part of being an artist involves that. Um, and we would have the most clashes over UI because we both felt like it was really appropriate to our disciplines and we had the least mechanism to resolve it without compromise because it overlapped both disciplines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think just one of the learnings is like, yeah, it'd be great to get a really highly skilled UI designer that we, you know. Express I need this information. He expressed I want to look yeah. a certain way. And, that, you know, they're good at putting that information together. Yeah.
1: Slash marriage counselor for you, too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it help, is, you, help you through these issues.
0: It is funny. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think if he hears this, he'll appreciate it because we, we, we're pretty open with each other. But, um, yeah, we love working with each other. It's just it's not without his moments, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, again, like I said, we make a better game together. So. That's why we want to do it again. Yeah, yeah.
1: Cool. (laughs) All right. So how did the rest of the... So how did
0: the... I guess we talked talked about the 1D combat combat and... A little bit about breaking affliction system down, but, you know. I don't know. There was a lot of systems. I mean, I think, like, there's a lot. It just felt like um, the time's too much. Yeah. Well, let me Uh, talk
1: about, actually, now a little bit of the timeline of the project, because... There's some interesting stuff to talk about with, like, the Kickstarter and the Early yeah. Access. Although, before we do that, I will say that one of the things I think is amazing about Darkest Dungeon um, is that you guys have, you guys must have easily the best class names of any RPG oh. <laughs> cool. I've ever, I've ever played. Awesome. I mean, like awesome! like, a, a leper, yeah. you know, highwayman, yeah. um, I'm just trying to think of what some of the other ones are that, like, immediately, you know, like jester i mean just like mm-hmm. you know so it, rpgs are so bad at that like everyone relies on like the same archa- plague doctor, plague doctor that's yeah. amazing yeah. like how did that happen you guys i just you guys were just like we're not we're yeah. not going to use anything that's that's a stereotype
0: yeah i mean you know you look the first four heroes that we made that we 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 started proof concepting everything were the crusader the highwayman the plague doctor and the vestal and of those four two are really wrote into our fairly unique Mm -hmm. and you know i think that was us starting to get our feel for it um
1: well i don't i don't necessarily even mean like the the sorry list those four again um crusader crusader uh highwayman plague doctor and and the vestals okay i don't necessarily mean the way the classes play out Mm -hmm. like i think every rpg is going to have Right. Some of the classes that have always been <laughs> part of right? it—that's just that's just that's okay. I I literally just mean the theme, for yeah, that. yeah, like, like the name and the look, oh, and cool, like, yeah. Um, because yeah, isn't that way better than just doing the same warrior, priest, wizard, mm-hmm. rogue thing that
0: like we've seen a thousand times? Yeah, you know, it was really important to us to not. um, We didn't want them to adhere obviously to these archetypes. So, mm-hmm. for example. We didn't want you to be able to look at every class and instantly know exactly, like, oh, that's that's the thing, that's rogue. Yeah. I mean, and obviously some of them are pretty easy to tell. Some art, but we we wanted to put you a little bit off, off balance might not be the right word, curious and feel like a new discovery. Like, oh, what does a play, what does a play doctor do, like in D and D or you know whatever, or you know in a D and D style game, and. Uh, You know, it started with, you know, some visual exploration, but also, yeah, just thematically, I I can't remember exactly. We just knew we didn't want to make the list of the 12 standard classes. And so, oh, I know. We did start just listing class ideas. We are like, hey, let's just brainstorm here, you know. Were you fighter, talking to like like archetypes at that point, you're like, we need these type um, of things. No, we were still we were thinking a little bit about just like There's free association. So it'd be okay. like historian, uh, maybe I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, archer, okay. you know, and yeah. so it'd be like archer. That's kind of boring, but you know, we would put everything down. It's like well, pistolier. I don't know, um, crusader. It's like because like crusader actually, even though it's fairly standard looking, was a really important one for us too because that zealousness was mm. like. The idea that he's a knight—he's not a knight; he's a crusader. And the difference is the crusader has this crazy religious zealism or ze- zealotry. Excuse me, I'm inventing words, evidently. Um, and we weren't trying to think specifically Christian; it just that came to mind, um, you know. But like, that is the game. Like, he's this great fighter, maybe, but what's he motivated by? Mm. Like, it may not be good at all, you know. He's and he—he's blinded by his zealotry, so. That, to us, embodied the game at that point. That was still very early. And then Plague Doctor was just weird and looked cool. And then, like, Highwayman um, was neat because, yeah, he had this, like, romanticism to him of, like, a highway robber, but someone that, you know, almost Robin Hoodie maybe, or at least has this, like, he's a bad guy, but everyone he's loves a, to love the bad he's a guy. scoundrel. Yeah, he's a scoundrel, a Han Solo, you yeah. know, um, that sort of stuff. And so we just started kind of banging names out and you know there's a lot a lot of them that didn't make the cut because I'll, I'll use that example archer i was like well that's and so the more time we spent with them you know the more we like started selecting like what are the interesting ones mm. and it is interesting because I, it, you know i think yeah played dr heimer that was cool the the, the example we just both use a lot is the leper because yeah. when the leper hit it was just like yes right It's like no one no one has done this is crazy (laughs) and awesome, like at the same time. And you know, again, I don't want to sound like we're patting ourselves in the back. It just it felt like that was where it creatively it already creatively gelled by then, but that was like the the cherry on top of the Sunday. It was like this is what we need to do. This is exactly what we need to do more of. Um, people won't know what what the hell to expect. Um, he looks, and Chris came up with this awesome visual design with the mask. Because I mean, I had actually, because of all the Third Crusade research I'd done with Sal- Saladin and, and, and uh, Richard Lionheart, mm-hmm. you know, I'd of course read about Baldwin, the sure. leper king of Jerusalem, yeah. and then he's in, you know, the, he's a character in Kingdom of Heaven, the Ridley mm-hmm. Scott movie, and um, and you know, Chris came up with that cool mask and this idea, and then we're like, okay, I was, I literally researched leprosy, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, what happens when you're a leper? Will you lose you lose sensation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, of, of course, everyone's like, oh, parts fall off, but it's not so simple. Like you lose sensation. This makes you very susceptible to getting wounded, mm-hmm. getting burnt, getting cut. You don't realize it. And you know, this of course leads to a host of other problems. Um, and so we're like, okay. And you, you know, you, you kind of lose some of your, you know, dexterity, agility. And uh, you know, some of these are not happy things. It's just that we're researching this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so like, so how would that translate? Okay, what if, what if like because of loss of sensation, he doesn't feel pain, mm, right? Right. The ultimate tank, someone who doesn't feel pain, you know, mm-hmm. and he just armors up and 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 then and then this is where you know visually it gelled, class name it gelled, mechanic started gelled, and the second part of the mechanic was, he you know he's had this disease, he's like been cast out, he's lived through, you know, all this horrible stuff, like. Shit does not stress him out in the same way. He's a stress tank. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, he's a stress tank. Like, and and so he should have some sort of abilities that like make him more resistant to stress. But he's an outcast, so in camping, all his skills would be focused on like, helping himself along. He's not relying on the party, Um, and maybe even like one of his skills like. Like so he's got a skill where he takes the mask off and everyone freaks out, but it helps mm-hmm. him, and then he has another one where he quarantines himself, and everyone feels better because he's off to the side <laughs> right. and it just that's why the leper is my favorite class it's it's not because of balance or anything like that it's that he's this he's a hard hitting low accuracy stress tank that you know is isolated from the group and has this amazing visual design and this weird concept sure. and you know that it felt like all the cylinders were firing on that right. you know and and certainly there's there's characters that we feel are more effective at that than others. Um, But we tried as as much as possible to give everybody a, a, like, you know, everything needs to be coming from off center compared to, to just classics.
1: Was the concept also from the beginning that you're going to get, you're going to get a set of random characters every week or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And like, and that beyond that, like their skills are going to be chosen randomly.
0: Um. Well, we, yeah, we ride fairly quickly at the idea that they have a number of skills. They start with a random selection and then you, you purchase the others mm-hmm. to be able to spec them out. And so we did. We never really thought their starting skills should be that big of a deal. Like, yes, the leper that arrives in the stagecoach might have these four skills instead of these four skills. But we expected you to quickly purchase, you know, and, and upgrade them according to what you needed. Um, so, like, if you like these skills a lot on lepers, like, no matter what leper comes in, you'll – Take them and then buy those skills. Yeah. And and then we arrived at seven partially UI considerations, partially design considerations. Like, you know, uh, if if you could have four at a time. Like, yeah, it was like we, we experimented with having three skills you can map at a time, four skills, five skills. We ended up at four that you can map at a time because that was a UI it worked as well as it added enough range of things. Three was too little to have any tactical synergy. Five was... So much that it almost, I don't know, we arrived at four. And then UI wise is kind of like, all right, four, four of any one times seven. So that gives some good possibilities. Yeah, sure.
1: Another little thing that you ignored for most RPGs is there's no, more or less, there's no item system. Like, yeah, which pretty some light. people define RPGs. Yeah. So that just goes was, back. Was that from the very beginning? Yeah. Like, well,. Like, did you did you go down the path of, like, having items at some point? Or? Well,
0: you know, we did end up with trinkets. Sure. That's you, what you, have- like, like there's, you know, that's why I said, like, basically, there's yeah.
1: still some exceptions, but, you know, it's a um, huge thing.
0: One of the very first lines Chris would always talk about, when you know, when the idea was fresh was, like, you know, there was, like, Guild Wars and World of Warcraft and all these things where it's, like, for lack of a better term, a proxy for how good your character is, is how big their shoulder pads are. Mm. And then Final Fantasy, and you know, all these things were just like, essentially you grow your shoulder pads as you get more powerful. Um, and it's not about the size of your shoulder pads or the sword even. And so that guided us a lot because it's like we can't, and we were tempted a lot, but mm. we're like, Every time we'd go down that road, we're like, wait, 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 wait. We're getting away from the hero. We should be putting time into the quirks. We should be putting time into the affliction system. It's not how big their sword is. It's are they eagle-eyed, alcoholic, you know, God-fearing. That's the interesting part of this game. That's our hook. And then resource-wise, it's also a, a, a crazy black hole to go down. Because yeah. you're like, oh, shit, all of a sudden we need to make – We as it is, we made hundreds of trinkets or whatever. And it's like – you know if you're doing paper doll stuff then it's just like massive. Yeah.
1: Well it's funny because uh, yeah you you'd need an entire probably an entirely new team member basically. Mm-hmm. Um I mean it's you can imagine it's easily a couple man years of work, yeah. right? And then to think about like so we just didn't do it. Right? Like yeah. <laughs> so. But
0: so I mean we didn't do it because thematically, creatively and resource-wise it was it was a failure or it was it would be the wrong move on all three fronts. Hmm. And Well, I mean, you could have weapons and armor. Like, well, yeah, and we do have like a, a light upgrading, but Well
1: no, I mean I know you have it, but no, I mean like you could have had it in the game. Like you could have hired another person and
0: Well like, no, because we were resource const- I mean, we were resource constrained. Right. Um, we we really were, okay, we're to right, Talk right. through that. So imagine imagine you
1: weren't researching. Okay. Well, yes. So you could have hired another person. Yes. And um <laughs> and you know uh yeah. added added swords and armor and and you know all just you know did the thing that every yeah, other yeah. RPG does and like how would have that you know I'm trying to think like think through like how that would have changed the game. I, I mean, don't know. It would have added a lot of time. To the game,
0: it would add a lot more to pick up, and you know, it would have maybe necessitated bigger, um, uh, bigger like inventories. And I mean, I do think even if we weren't resource constrained, I, I like to think we would have still not done it because it takes the focus away. Uh, okay, another another sort of founding design pillar for us was the party as a whole should be approximately equal in complexity to an MMO character. Hmm. Okay, and so the way you look at it. So if you look at an MMO character with a paper doll system, we thought, okay, two trinkets, four people, that's eight items, actually. Yeah. So we're already asking you to manage four characters with four combat skills right. each and plus you have, camping skills. Plus you have twelve characters, or is it twelve? Fifteen now. Fifteen. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot. So that's that, you know, yeah. it could be you would realize that it is just a terrible idea, right? It's just because so much to manage. So, too many, way too much mental load so yeah. so that was that was a founding principle so i think that helped us like we need to keep the number of items small we can't go crazy on the skills because we don't want it to be overwhelming we want it to feel like that same level of engagement of like shepherding your awesome yeah you know star wars character or yeah. world of warcraft character i guess it's
1: tough because like really you're making XCOM much more than you're making baldur's gate right yeah i mean it's <laughs> very yeah. different games but like you know when you see an RPG you still mm-hmm. more think about Baldur's Gate right mm-hmm. and, um, but you know when you're cycling soldiers I mean it's not just that you have 15 you're also going to be disposing of people like they
0: yeah know. honestly it's a lot to manage and uh, I mean I used to love, you know, like things like that. Like me of ten years ago would play mm. the hell out of Crusader Kings. Mm-hmm. Me today, it stresses me out, and it's just like a mental load thing. But I think that's because I'm also developing an RPG with the <laughs> systems, so it's it's just odd that, um, yeah. And and Chris Chris and I are different personalities too. Where I I still love those sorts of really meaty games, and he he likes MMOs a lot, but he doesn't like getting buried in stats games. He doesn't like yeah. getting buried in. You know, other than the MMO style, but like uh, a Crusader Kings or something, uh-huh. and so that tension was good too. Where we never wanted to fall too heavy into into one side or the other. It, it, it we never wanted to make it so streamlined that it felt bubblegum or light or like yeah. casual, and we never wanted to go so heavy that it felt Dwarf Fortress.
1: Well, it's and this is really hard. But with a turn-based game, you really have to think hard about like like the actual real-time aspect of the game mm-hmm. of like how much time is it taking to go through a dungeon run? A dungeon yeah. run? And how much time is yeah. it, are you going to take from when you get back up out of the dungeon to get back in, right? Yes. And, like, you know, you can't force it because you can't put it on a timer, mm-hmm. but you you have to think about how every aspect of your game is affecting how the player spends mm-hmm. their time. And not just, like, is there a, you know, giant equipment system, but, like, how much micromanagement are you encouraging totally. the player to go around and, um, you know, do this and do that. So that... And I think maybe you've even um, – so there, there's one, like, thing in the Dark Souls that I seen some people complain about that, like, is – has an issue with that, which is, like, the losing the
0: trinkets. Yes. Right. We've recently actually done something for that. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, because that's exactly the thing where if the game – if there is this optimal way to play, is like, mm-hmm. there's no reason not to unequip – Twink trinkets before right. you do something.
0: Then it yeah. means
1: now people. Oh, you care. mean like
0: like gambling their trinket away or like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Like
1: now everyone is everyone who cares is going to mm-hmm. just do that every time. It's yeah. not a choice. It's just yeah. uh, it's it's a, like a, an execution tax. It's bookkeeping. Or yeah, it's bookkeeping. you
0: right. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, there's some things like that. I mean, and when we launched into Early Access, I mean, we didn't have really good roster management tools. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, we've added filtering and sorting. Or sorry, sorting and you know, so you can be like, who's in an activity? What, who sort by level? Yeah, sort yeah. by class. And that that's one of the awesome parts about early access is just the ability to listen to that feedback and put it in and add over time and improve the game. And I think like there's a certain nostalgia I think for some people that remember like when it launched, it was really impressive for an early access game. I, I'm just parroting what's been told to us. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes you know when you tweak things, people are like, oh, you know. Actually liked it better. Like you tweaked this and I didn't like that. But what they're kind of forgetting is all the lots of quality of life improvements we've done. Mm-hmm. Like if you compare the game now to the game, you know, a year ago, it's just so many quality of life improvements, even if say you didn't agree with corpses or right, whatever sure. it is. Yeah. Um, and there's a certain nostalgia to just remembering being impressed when it first launched. You know, and forgetting the the little things, Yeah. you know, which aren't even really that little. It's just like, you know, that's one of the neat parts of early access is the ability to respond yeah. to, to fan suggestions. I know that, suggestions.
1: I, think, I think Tom, it was Tom Francis who did this, where he has like a deluxe version of Gunpoint where he gives you also, I think, like... A version of the game every month or every two months, like the history. Oh, all cool the versions
0: of the game. So you can see like, like time time capsule it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the thing is, that
1: wouldn't be that hard to do on Steam because they let you create branches of just like every well, time you like. have Actually, a patch. you have your whole
0: build p- build history. Right. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So I mean, in theory, gosh. I don't know how long they keep that build history. But in uh-huh. theory, I wonder if we – yeah, we could go and so like, like create a branch, set it back to February yeah. 3rd, yeah, you, 2015. You, that's the version you want? Well, here you go. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I honestly <laughs> thought when we were going through uh, – be, before we added all the options, uh-huh. that was one thing I was considering. I, I really – I came up with it and even wrote it down that there should be a early access vanilla setting, which is just how it was because <laughs> – and it wasn't a snarky thing. It literally was. Well, if it's, there, the
1: game, it's the game they bought, right? Yeah. And Maybe. if there
0: are people out there that were happier mm-hmm. before, I want them to feel like they spent their 20 bucks and they can still be happy. Yeah. Like that was really important. I'm like, here you go. Like check this box and it's out of the box configuration basically, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Well, let's, okay. So let's back up to the Kickstarter. Okay. That's probably where we <laughs> should get through
1: before we get to the early access. Okay. Um, so you guys were, what, what state was the game at before you did the Kickstarter?
0: We had, oh, man, we had combat working, mm-hmm. I mean, the basics, because that's what I used to capture animated GIFs. How many people GIFs. were
1: working on the game at this point?
0: Um, okay. Chris and I and a program, programmer by the name of Kelvin McDowell kicked it off in April or May of 2013. Okay. So, so there was no code. There was zero code okay. as of April or May 2013. Okay. And we kickstarted in February 2014. Okay. So it was the three of us. Mm-hmm. And, and you, had, you had combat working, sort of? By, uh, well, by, by the Kickstarter. Yeah, by the Kickstarter. Yeah, so essentially, um, I think that's the main thing. we had. I mean, there was also infrastructure and engine work and um, stuff like that. But, yeah, we didn't have town. We didn't have, um, so it was the three of us until, oh, and then, like, you know, we brought on sound, but not much was happening there. Um we added another programmer in December 2013, mm-hmm. Kira Myron, um, and so he had a chance. Yeah, when he came on, he started working on town,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so I think by the time Kickstarter launched, essentially what we were—I'd have to look at the page again—but we had um, we we had enough combat working to do some animated gifs,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um, we had concept art for a, a bunch of other things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so that's what you showed in the that's what we showed video and. Uh um, the video okay, the Kickstarter video we made a Wait, maybe we had a little exploration. Sorry. We had a little exploration in combat. Okay. So walking in hallways uh, and fighting, you know, and, and people like I it's just hard to remember exactly. A lot's happened in the last three years, so you know, my facts might be a little wrong, but but, yeah, so I think there was a little bit of exploration because we captured – the reason I remember is our announced trailer was completely faked. The one that we na- we launched in um, October of 2013 was all mocked up in, like, After Effects and – Okay, and that was stuff. to get people excited for the Kickstarter. Yeah, there was – uh, no, no, that was that was just like, hey, we exist. We exist, okay. And, and yes, like, start to collect – Whatever. But did you know you were going to do a Kickstarter? Oh uh, yeah, we did actually. Okay. So I mean, I mean that like oh, in yes. broader okay. sense,
1: like we need to get
0: people ready. For right. Whatever. Yes. Exactly. No, you're right. It was it was to start building hype, build press, build some fans before we kickstarted. Right.
1: And that worked.
0: Yes. Okay. And that's like when like people... how
1: how what does that mean? Like before people can buy the game or go to Kickstarter, it means you had a forum that was starting to populate with people.
0: We didn't have a forum. We had a mailing list. Okay. Um. So that was what we basically did. Is uh, we announced the Terran Madness, and we're like. Um, This was our coming out of just, like, press and people were making this game. Stay tuned for more info. Sign up on this mailing list. Um, And people started to sign up. You saw how many people there were. And And then we went to – gosh, where did we go? Yeah, so we managed to amass – by the time we kickstarted, we managed to amass about 1,500 people on the mailing list. And that was – and then also it – Relatively speaking, it blew up. It actually got covered by a lot of press sites. So we immediately started building a press following, mm-hmm. which was also important. And my the biggest advice I think I give to people on Kickstarters, because, you know, we get this a ton. Since we had a, a successful Kickstarter, was like, give me Kickstarter advice. And I'm like, build, it doesn't matter how big, but just build some sort of a following before you launch your Kickstarter. Yeah. And I'm not talking about thousands and thousands of people. Even 100 people, 500 people, because the whole point is you need somebody to like pledge immediately. Yeah. Did and you tell these people that like there was a Kickstarter coming? Yes. How absolutely. Far, how far ahead of time? Like, like at that time we knew we were going to kickstart, and so we thought we were going to kickstart in the fall there. So mm-hmm. we're like, Kickstarter's coming, stay tuned. Yeah. Kickstarter's coming, and then we had to that ma- like
1: on your site. That you would say that? Or we did it on it like our site. Were...
0: We did it, I think, okay. the trailer. We maybe even annotated okay. it.
1: Or so, like, press... coming to
0: Kickstarter maybe might have been an in-plate on the trailer.
1: Uh, okay. Okay. So if press wanted to, they could have talked about that, right? Like,
0: yeah. Okay. I'd All have right. to look at the trailer to see if it was an in-plate. But that was our goal is, hey, it's kickstarting. Please sign up. Right. So okay. we have a – that was very stri- strategic purpose. Um, and, yeah, we didn't have a forum, but we had like a basic website and just mailing list. on <clears throat> MailChimp. We were trying to build interest. Honestly, it was still – our final go-no-go no go was the, the moment was Kickstarter. So, like, let's say we had done our, our announced trailer. People mm-hmm. were like, meh. Right. And then we did Kickstarter and people were like, meh. Right. Like Chris and I talked about it, We would have pulled the plug. I mean, um, we were already working on our personal runways. It was a weird idea. This mm-hmm. gothic about the psychological stress of adventuring. Like, holy shit, the only people that might be interested are, like – you know psych- psychology faculty at university, you know, like we didn't know if it was gonna hook uh-huh. and so when the when the Terran Man trailer came out and we got immediate response it was it was a huge relief, but I mean, still not like, oh, we've done it um so yeah we we built the mailing list, and you know the Terran Madness trailer was a little cinematic, so we had decided for our Kickstarter trailer similarly to have at least a little bit of um okay, how did we do it it was I think House of Ruin. Yeah, House of Ruin has some gameplay footage. That was the second trailer. And that was our Kickstarter trailer. Mm. I think. Gosh, it's getting confusing. Um <laughs> What did we do? No, we had a separate. I can't believe I'm forgetting this, but the reason it's confusing is because I remember that we ended up getting contacted by game trailers. Okay. And they and they wanted to do they wanted to run our next trailer exclusive. Okay. Um, Before the Kickstarter. Yeah, but we also needed the Kickstarter trailer. So All how right. did we do it? I think what we did... I, I mean, this is easily answered by playing a computer. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. I think we used Terran Madness, which was the announced trailer, uh-huh. as the Kickstarter trailer. But we, gave, we made House of Ruin, this new trailer, gave it to game trailers that as as a day one exclusive of the, the start of the Kickstarter mm-hmm. and then gave it to everyone else. And so we used House of Ruin to drive people to the Kickstarter page, but the Kickstarter page itself still ran Terror and Madness, I think. Okay. <laughs> and uh You had some trailers. Oh, we had some trailers <laughs> and, the, and and then what we mobilized our mailing list, but we told them Kickstarter's coming. Yeah. And then when we realized we delayed, like we wanted to run it in October, November. We weren't ready. Mm. So we told them it's coming in the new year. Right. And then once we had it fixed, we're like, we told them like a week before uh-huh. it's coming in a week. And then we told them like the Friday before. And we literally just said, it's coming Monday. If you follow us this, this far, please pledge Monday at 10 a.m. when it hits. That's, it. That's the best thing you can do to support the game is like, <clears throat> even aside from your pledge. Right. Or second thing, you know, Because the more people that get in early, it'll look, you know, it'll catch momentum, and and the kickstarters are very momentum based, and that worked really, really well. Yeah, I mean, like it funded, it funded really fast. We asked for seventy five grand, and it funded within twenty four hours, and that was a huge factor in then driving it forward. Because as soon as it funds, people say, because even by that time, Kickstarter was no longer a story. Mm-hmm. You know, it was no longer, it, it was, it was after the, the golden age where you say, I'm going to Kickstarter and they're like, wow, mm-hmm. press was getting jaded. In fact, they were starting to say like, we won't cover a Kickstarter just cause you're kickstarting. It yeah. has to have a hook. And so that's our strategy with house of ruin was, Hey guys, we have a new trailer,
2: mm-hmm.
0: by the way, you know, you liked the last trailer, we have a new trailer, by the way, this coincides with our Kickstarter that's campaign okay. and that worked. And, um. Uh, and so yeah, we weren't relying on on just the fact that we we're kickstarting. So we really we put a lot of time and thought into it. And I mean, I'm really relieved it worked because you still never know. Yeah. And um, How we, much did you raise eventually? Three hundred thirteen. Okay. We asked for seventy five, um, which was quite low, but what we really needed was one fifty. But the reason we asked for seventy five is because we took on seventy five thousand in a loan from someone, um, which was actually Clay play loaned us 75 and so that allowed us to ask for less on a kickstarter the point is we we didn't ask for less than we could have made the game we set out it's just like uh so there's no dishonesty It was just more like we wanted to be able to ask as little from kickstarter itself as possible right and um but that version of the game would have been like bare bones you know with like um and because we raised 300 that enabled us to put a lot more effort into th- some things than we even thought we were, mm-hmm. and so there was a direct benefit to, you know, people pledging that we made a better game. I mean, we were able to, we didn't have to cut corners in some of the spots that we would have, we would have had to do. You know, maybe the, the V1, uh, not the V1, like the the min spec version versus yeah. what we'd really love to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, but even that, I mean, we staffed up, so we had um, by that time. We had two programmers. It was Chris and I, two programmers, um, our technical artist, Brooks Gordon. And then we had partnered with um, Power Up Audio to do sound, Wayne June to do narration, and Stuart Chatwood to do the composing. Mm-hmm. Um, and 300 sounds like a lot of money. and it, I mean, it's a lot of money, but That's, we were already a year into the project. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us, uh, with the exception of Keir, um all of us were like mid-30s or older guys mm-hmm. that, you know, we're used to making decent salaries and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, cost of living, you know, gets higher the, usually the older you get because you either have families or mm-hmm. whatever. You don't wanna you don't wanna live like a a starving college student. And um and we were already a year into living on our runways. Yeah. Um, Chris and I especially. And so even three hundred was, you know, once you figure out the out of pockets for paying contractors that won't live off their runways yep. or whatever. Um, you know, I think what it allowed us to do is is pay ourselves like so essentially over those two years until we got to early access, I wanna say like each of us took around maybe like Chris and I each took around maybe like fifty grand. So that's like twenty five grand a year. So that's <laughs> Great two salary. Years gross before yeah. taxes. Before t- you know, so um so it's it's just fascinating when you you know, three hundred thousand, then you break oh, it all down. It's yeah. like, oh man.
1: Yeah, that's that's, um, that's not I mean, obviously I know about game budgets. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not it's, much it's not much to go with, but then I hope people understand that they are yeah. starting to understand that now about games.
0: Yeah. And so our like our, our scenario where if we had just raised seventy five, you know, we were gonna live more on credit, more on things. We would have finished the game. There's no scenario where we kickstart and don't finish like we knew we'd be committed to just sure. our you know barring meteor go- acts of yeah. god and things uh, or or just you know personal tragedies but um our final go-no-go was kickstarter and that was all you know for validation and so getting that validation was really important and at that point we were locked and loaded we're like we're doing it you know no matter what and it's exciting so so yeah we kickstarted it ended in march of 2014 okay so do you
1: Basically, eleven months later, you were on early access. Yeah,
0: February third, um, twenty
1: fifteen. Yeah. Um, so, do you want what what happened between Kickstarter
0: and early access? We used um, part of the money. We, we showed at PAX East. Mm-hmm. That was our first um, playable build. So sure. it was was April twenty fourteen, mm-hmm. and um, man, that was terrifying. It was really terrifying. I'll, I'll be honest. Like it, it uh, you know, we were building the game and Kickstarter had been successful, but no one had played it. They, you know, we had we'd sold the promise of the game, yeah, and it was still really rough. And exploration wasn't fun, and like um, combat was combat was starting to take shape, um, but you know, <clears throat> I don't know. We just really didn't know. Were you ex- were you sending like an alpha version to your no your pledge. No, we, we Kickstarter backers never got the game until like three days before the Access release. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Was that the best choice? <laughs> um, It worked out really well. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to obviously argue with your guys' Early Access experience, but like... Yeah, I mean... Like, it seems like you could have been a little safer to maybe do that like um, a month earlier or
0: something. So, you know, I hate sharing too much of the intro. I, I, li- I like for people at home to have this vision that we always know exactly what we're doing and execute very well. Um, one of our internal jokes about Darkest Dungeon is coming in hot. We're mm-hmm. always coming in hot. I mean, even the early access build, like, it, the whole game loop, it, it, like, barely... Like, we're talking, like, okay, it's all finally working together, like, two weeks before early access. Uh-huh. So we couldn't, like, other than going the Star Citizen route of... Here's an arena for combat that you yeah. can play combat and nothing else. Or here's a... But no, one, one... um. So the whole game was just not there. No, not at all. And um, I think this is something that's just kind of a Red Hook founding philosophy is we would rather... If for general consumption, we would rather wait and make a great impression um, than have you see all the gory bits inside. Now, for playtesting that's different and i think things we will do more of next time is like you know i mean and even this we did some you know we would send builds to friends close, you know people for playtesting but we have a general feeling of like because we're very into presentation and polish and all those things and it served us really well in early access launch we were seen as it it felt like it you know a lot of people said it felt like a finished game because it was polished um and so no that I, i don't think that'll change for us the next time around yeah And sure, some backers are like wanted earlier, you know, and were upset that maybe they only got it three days before. But we tried to incentivize them with other things like, okay, you know, you you get this, you get a credit, you get a, you know, a special things, other rewards. We didn't really want to go the providing you with with lots of alphas and pre-alphas and betas and Charlies and deltas. Yeah. Um, uh, that's
1: true. I mean, from my perspective, like, that's one of the, the things I'd want the most from Kickstarter. I know. Is, like, getting that group of people who can play it early. And especially since they know they had to jump through some hoops to get there. Yeah. Like, I don't think... I mean, my I don't feel like they would want... They would necessarily expect complete the game because that's the whole thing, right? Like, if, yeah. if you would given them six months before early access, what would they have just had, like, this
0: little combat prototype, basically? And, like... Yeah. I mean, yeah, because there was a lot of things being built in parallel... And it, it, it just – it wasn't particularly fun as an experience yet. I mean a town wasn't functioning and we always knew the whole loop is – it's not just combat. It's going in and like having your guy get stressed out and then coming back out and having to treat them. Mm-hmm. So really like I was quite um, – development-wise, I, w- I was personally stressed out for a long time because – town kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed because okay. we spent a lot of effort early on presentation of combat. Okay. Um, and we had arguments about this, but it ended up serving us well because when we went to PAX East, all we showed was exploration and combat in, in, a, in a rudimentary camping. Or no, camping worked. Mm-hmm. We showed exploration, combat, and camping. We had not put a single bit of effort into town other than design.
2: Yeah.
0: And, um, But we spent lots of effort on presentation and camera and effects and um, so we made that conscious choice and I'm sweating bullets because I'm like, I don't have a game loop yet. Wow. Yeah, that's, I, that's I, I
1: pretty much the exact opposite of how I yeah, yeah. <laughs> de- 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 develop games more or less. Like, you know, like off was like fully playable. Yeah. Like, you, you know. know, like, they, 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 I mean, it's, but I, like, there's, be- there's, there's pluses and minuses each side. Like, you know, if I, had, if I had shown people the way they get like, mm-hmm. Offer was fully playable when a building was a little billboard that said WP for water pump.
0: Yeah. Right? Like that And that's playing. why I prototype. Yeah. You know, and that's the way Horde was built. Yeah. Um so I, I don't I didn't like this process personally. Okay. But from a from a business perspective and when I put on my producer and marketing or certainly marketing hat, because mm-hmm. um, that's also I do a lot of that. Um it really worked. I mean because we, we, you know, we we came, we had to create things to sell the sizzle at Kickstarter. Yeah. We had to create things to show at PAX East and go, look, this is what's coming. And and PAX East was amazingly successful for us. Yeah, um, it was huge. Like you know, there was there was buzz for the Kickstarter, but people actually had fun. Like, but it was coming in hot. I mean, one of our team members before we went to PAX East was was like. Basically, basically, you know, either verbatim or certainly, I think it was verbatim, said, I'm, I'm embarrassed by what we're about to show. Mm-hmm. Yep. We were panicked. We were flying out to PAX East. You know, gosh, I don't know. I don't want to share. We're flying out to PAX East with this demo. Mm-hmm. And we had a backup plan. We're like, if this bombs, mm-hmm. we're going to just show the trailer on loop okay. for the whole convention. Yeah. We'll talk to people about the Kickstarter. And, you know, yeah. we believed in our ability to solve the problems. We just... You know, we had just come off the Kickstarter, and you know, we, you know, it's hard, and sometimes yeah. you, sometimes these shows hit at times in the schedule that are just terrible for development, and so I'm not trying to throw anyone on the team under the bus. Like I fully believe we get there, we just didn't know what we had yet. We knew, we knew what we we're trying to accomplish, and um it was such a relief when the first people started playing and they were they they loved it, yeah. and it was just like I mean that moment for us like. Yeah. I mean, there's been several big moments for us, you know, the Kickstarter, the, the announced trailer, Kickstarter, PAX East, and then, of course, early access launch, and then full release. But I think th- those early moments were just even bigger for us, because mm-hmm. it's like, Kickstarter was like, awesome, but oh my god, what if we've just sold this little steak? Uh-huh. You know, are, are we charlatans? Not out of any out of any attempt, I'm just saying... You know now we got to cash the checks that you know creatively we've just promised, and then Pax East was like, Okay, yes, it's gonna work out, yeah. And
1: well, so this is something I think about a lot because, like, if I was to just keep developing the games the way I, I have been, like, I don't know how I would do something like Kickstarter because I'd be like. Oh, I'm making this game, and hey, look at this prototype! Oh, this is hideous, right? Like, yeah. you know, like, like, look, the whole game is here, but you know, it looks absolutely terrible, right? Like, it's whereas you know, like the you know, your first trailers like look mm-hmm. great, mm-hmm.
0: you know, like there was really good stuff there, like presentation wise. So, I think um, it's a matter of what audience you're pitching to and then what your skill sets are internally, and then you know, it wasn't without tension, but I think I think that's another area where the battle between I say battle, but between Chris and I was good because there were times that we focused more in marketing than maybe, you know, in presentation than we maybe should have. And then there were times that we focused on, you know, the systems maybe more than he would have been comfortable with. And in the end we hit all of our funding beats and marketing beats and, but it wasn't without a lot of, a lot of stress. Along the way. Yeah. Like, so yeah, I mean, like, like I said, hoard Horde was fun within the first 30 days. Um, Darkest Dungeon honestly didn't get fun until like weeks before Early Access, yeah. maybe even closer. So
1: how you yeah, you see you've mentioned this a couple it times was times how close you were to the release on early access. Um yeah. the um so how did you know it was gonna be any fun if like the game was not fully playable until then? Um we I mean you knew
0: parts of it were fun, yeah, but like yeah. it seems that just seemed really dangerous. Well <laughs> it is it is dangerous, but I, I don't I don't wanna misrepresent, I guess You know, I I kind of make it sound like we're sort of bumbling through the hallway and ricocheting off the the walls, but you know, we didn't launch our Kickstarter originally in the fall because we weren't ready, and then we launched it when we were ready, and we didn't, and we were trying to get early access done for the fall of twenty fourteen, and we pushed it to the new year because we weren't ready. So, so as much as I I kind of like say, oh, you know, we came in hot right before it, but the point is, we were willing, we were always willing to wait until we knew it was coming together enough. Okay, And so, you know, at, at times during development, maybe, you know, the order was a little weird. But we were really intent on doing our own marketing, our own publishing, all that stuff. <clears throat> and we had to be agile and we had to structure milestones in such a way that, you know, often pursue different priorities. And so it, it was not made with necessarily the idea that, like, we're going to focus on design first and then once we have it. And we built everything out. I mean, we 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 juggled, and you know, there were some pretty tense moments along the way. But we had enough internal checks to make sure, you know, we didn't do anything truly stupid. I guess is right. the best way of putting it. Like it was just maybe a little. Uh, not. I don't even know if atypical is the right word.
1: Yeah. But I mean, what what I would be worried about knowing that you're making a game that is a you know it's a long term mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. right? This is a game that you know, people could theoretically play, you know, mm-hmm. twenty, three, four hours or whatever. And I guess I mean was that some of that stuff was just not there when you went on early access anyway, right? Like the, the yeah. end game dungeons were periods not there. Correct. So I guess I guess that is somewhat, you know, limiting. But um I mean I'd just be afraid if if the whole system had not been in place for more than a couple of weeks, and it had not been exposed <laughs> to like a large group of players. That like within yeah. like, a few days of you end up in early access, yeah. like you, all sorts of crazies like you know they would have they would have yeah. found okay, here are the here are the t- three things you need to do that like break every system in the game, right or whatever.
0: Uh, I mean, you know, we were playing combat, you know, we were building exploration. I, I you know, in terms of like the whole loop, it was yeah, maybe okay. There's two points I guess that maybe mitigate some of that. Is the first was three. Sorry. <laughs> well no, no, they're they're important. It's okay. Because these are all like factors in the decision making. Sure. Um one was we had done a lot of visual prototyping in terms of breaking out systems and I'd done a ton of detailed design that I felt that on some of the systems I felt like this is going to work. It's just may take a bunch of balance and some refinement and some iteration, but it'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um that that's one factor. Um uh, another factor let's see oh god I had three um, so oh this, and the second factor in a way was that like town was the last thing we built mm-hmm. but it also felt like it was the most I knew I didn't feel like it was going to be a dead end mm-hmm. because I could see it as a board gamey part I had worked out the systems and it just felt like we don't know how we're going to present it yet we haven't had time to code it But we know its role which is you come out of the dungeon you treat these guys Mm. you upgrade them it didn't feel like there was as much risk the risk for me was combat and exploration and Mm. in particular exploration was the most troublesome um and so we we kept spending effort on combat and exploration and iterating on those knowing that the loop would come together the town you know the town was effectively this piece that we knew we would slot in Mm. and it we could make it work and then i think the third um what was the third? I don't know. I had a really insightful, <laughs> awesome thing. Um, well, I, oh, oh, the third was, the third was a certain willingness to enter early access, expecting some things to be broken, uh-huh. balanced to be all over the place, but it to be correctable. Sure. Um, and so I, 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 uh, I was prepared for that I was prepared for them to be like the high women's crazy powerful yeah, yeah. like all you need to do is make four high women and break the game like I, I was
1: well it's interesting because there's some aspects to darkest dungeon that makes it a little resilient to stuff being out of balance mm-hmm. to begin with right mm-hmm. uh i mean if something's too powerful okay that's you know that's gonna be a problem but uh, then again you can't you don't choose which characters are going to come down the pipe
0: but they eventually come yeah. and but it's single player. And that's the, well, that's the that's biggest huge, thing. Yeah.
1: But here's the other thing is that, um, I mean, what I was thinking is like, what about the gold loop, right? Are you getting yeah. the right amount of gold from yeah. the dungeon each time I, to pay for this and that? But, but the fact that it's not XCOM, right? Yeah. Like in XCOM, they have to worry about the whole arc. Right From beginning to end.
0: How are you tracking on the progress curve? Yeah.
1: Can we carry enough soldiers through? Will they get too powerful so the game is really boring in the second half? Or what happens if they all Mm -hmm. wipe? And then, like, Mm -hmm. are they in the Walking Dead situation where, like, the game is still going, but there's really no way they can finish?
0: And is there a metagame failure condition?
1: Right. Like, you guys had a situation, you know, you guys had built a game where you could actually throw away heroes, right? Like, you were always. You know, it had that rogue legacy thing of, like, no matter yeah. what, no matter yeah. how bad anything yes. happened, you were you had still made progress, even yeah. if you had to, like, literally throw away everything you had. That was that very in- a huge
0: difference. It was very intentional, and um, I spent a lot of time thinking about those things, and, you know, you've got to slant the playfield in your favor sometimes. And so, uh, you know, launching into early access, what was critical was knowing that, at least for the first X weeks the gold needs to be reasonably close you know you Mm. need to make enough you need to be able to earn some money and go in but but yeah that's a huge benefit to be able to say you you can't um you can't fail the game we didn't even have a failure condition right then Mm -hmm. so essentially you can just keep throwing yourself at the brick wall and eventually you you know you'll you'll knock it down
2: Um,
0: but that was you know that was intentional and people were like no, we have to end early access with with a with a doomsday clock. We have to mm. and, and I'm like, no, because I saw the design problem like I'm like it's not that I'm against even say failure conditions, but we're asking you to bear a lot of failure in this game with runs that can go bad or whatever. I don't want you to get seventy weeks in and lose and yeah. just go bananas you know, yeah. and we, we didn't end up adding failure conditions except for n g plus yeah and that was very intentional and so well, it's I, funny I, I,
1: it's it's a weird game because it's like very. Punishing and also very forgiving. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at it from the right perspective.
0: Yes. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it's micro punishing and macro forgiving yeah. right. in a way. Like, and that was intentional. You know, it's so. Uh, it's
1: interesting to hear that you guys <sighs> never considered to do a state clock. Yeah. So I think I remember when I I think I emailed you like a month or two after it came out. And like mm-hmm. one of the things I was like I was like confused about it because it took me a while to understand the idea. Of like throwing away heroes is like. I am not clear. Am I playing XCOM, yeah. <laughs> in which case I need to be freaked out about losing heroes? Yeah. Or are they, like, yeah. tissue paper and, like, right. it's totally fine to throw them around? Like, I, right. I need the game to, like, give me Tell a me. hint. You know, know, to, like, communicate this to me somehow. And obviously a doomsday clock, then I know a game I'm playing,
0: yeah. and that would totally freak me out. Um, it. Um I've done this a couple times on games where... um You know, the more you design games, I guess you learn your own personality of it, too. And it's funny because I'm a systems designer, but I also have always tended to be on underfunded, understaffed games that, like, were coming in hot. Like, every game I've ever worked on is coming in hot. And one of the things I do, you know, I I think of it in my head as, like, blocking. Mm -hmm. Or blocking out of going, like... I don't know the answer, but I'm going to try to prevent myself from going too far from the answer. So a case like that is if I had a doomsday clock in and I get the balance wrong, this is like just going to be hell to pay, you know, aside from the fact that whether I think it's right and that then enters in, you know, if I think something's right for the game, I'll do it anyway. But, um, you know, or like, okay, single player game, 15 character classes, meet one designer at the time. I'm not going to have time to, you know, there's whole teams that, wow, that, you know, like, focus on the Paladin or whatever. Like, I don't have time to do that. So I need to accept up front that an amount of imbalance is acceptable. I need to accept up front that, you know, um, yeah, or like this case, we're we're asking you to bear a lot of variance. Like, bad things can happen. And, you know, do we want to allow you to fail the game? No, we... And I think it, that's helped shape the game's personality. And many, many design decisions are about what not to do. And so, yeah, those, those things were kind of like tolerating your risk, you know, for what to what you can live with and what you can't. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. Also, like, I think some of that's fun to, like, try to innovate in those areas of, right. like, people expect this. And yeah. instead – so people – like – yeah, people play the game and they're like, Oh man, like I, I lost my party, I don't have any gold, I gotta restart. Mm-hmm. And we'd see this on forums everywhere. And and you know, at first it would be us going, Well, no, you don't actually have to restart. And then eventually the community does that job now. Yeah. When people come in, they say, This game's so hard, I'm terrible at it. I do this and I restart, so it says, No, no, do this. Take four heroes, run them into the dungeon until one's left, retreat, keep the gold, dismiss that guy, do it again. Just do that. Then once you've got gold, pick some heroes that are worth in- investing in. You never have to restart. But then a really neat thing is people will do these deathless runs, mm-hmm. where they'll go. I'm going to run a campaign until until someone dies, yeah. and then they start again. They'll, they, it's a high score thing for them. Someone will get 50 weeks in before their first hero dies, and so people are able to set their own goals sometimes. Of like, I don't, I want to treat my heroes very well. I don't want to see a graveyard full of guys. And, you know, have I you want...
1: Made, have you made that an explicit game option?
0: Um, in New Game Plus. Oh, okay. You know, New Game Plus is basically like, if you take too long, if you kill too many heroes, you, you lose okay, the game. Okay, okay. And um, and then achievements. Yeah. Just like, hey, we reward you if, you know, if you've had, like, if you've taken good care of heroes or whatever. But, no, we, we kind of let a little bit of that personality in. Um, but, yeah, some of it's a strategic choice to be like, I have so many design and balance problems to solve that I don't want to worry about this one. Or like another example is, you know, we have some metrics in the game, which are kind of cool, you know, telemetry. And I can see a chart. It's not the best. It's not like really good. And so unfortunately, sometimes it's a little hard to interpret the data. Mm. But I can like roughly see a chart of people's gold and heirloom balances by week. Mm-hmm. of the whole population yeah. and it goes woo, and after about like week 100 it's just like people have way more golden heirlooms than they could ever possibly spend and and so during early access people were like this is this is a huge problem the end game economy is whacked like once you've upgraded all the buildings you have nothing to spend these things on meanwhile i wasn't panicking because i'm like we don't have the end game in. You can't complete the game. <laughs> I don't want you playing on week 200. Yeah. And if you are, that's your own deal. Like you're playing sandbox mode, essentially. Yeah. After you won the Darkest Dungeon, you want to just keep going. Um, so I don't care that you have 500 crests. Yeah. Um, I care if you have 500 crests at week 20. So I really w- want to just kind of keep that. Um, and so uh, my priority was not making an heirloom sink. Mm-hmm. Um, although I did end up designing one. It's funny. We didn't put it in yet, but And I I still would like to put in maybe the town events patch um, just because it's like another thing for veteran players to do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can get sidetracked by, like, problems that you don't actually have to solve. Like, super late game heirloom economy when the end game's not in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is just knowing I got to be 18 places at once and... I mean, the argument—you know—there's some learnings. The argument could be made that, like, after early access, we had resources. The game sold well. We could have hired ten people if we wanted to, but that has a, a cost. Like, Chris and I now—we built the whole game ourselves. You know, like, as this small team, mm-hmm. I've done all the design. Chris has done all the art. You know, with Brooks and whatever. And now, like, let's say I go hire three designers to help. Now I gotta like transmit years of Chris and I's discussion of what how things should work. Or I need to spend all my time just directing their work. And, you know, it's not always a plug and play.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And plus, we generally wanted to build the game ourselves. Like, I don't want to hire myself out of being able to go in there. At that time, I didn't. And mm-hmm. design the next leper. Yep. You know, and so it's it's a weird balance. But I think for game, you know, the next game we do, it might be different. You know, I don't want to do business operations, marketing,
2: <laughs> pro-
0: production, and design at the same time. Yep. I might be a little smarter. And so we did bring on, like, towards the end, um, there's, like, a... Uh, we, I, well, we hired a, a second designer to help out, um, Ryan Rathgaber. He helped me a bunch with with stuff. And then towards the end, we we hired this um, modder, a guy who done done mods, had him come in just for the last, like, I don't know, eight weeks, 12 weeks, mm-hmm. and helped, like, he did a whole bunch of work on monster brains. So Ryan was doing, like, levels and helping me with... Items and loot, and like, and then Joey was doing uh monster brains and just helping find problems with that, and that was really key. And then we couldn't have finished the game if I hadn't hired those guys. Um, but you know, it so maybe I should have done it earlier, but it's just uh, yeah,
1: I don't know. All right, well, let's talk about early access then. So <laughs> the game comes out, it was pretty much a hit right off the bat, isn't that right?
0: It was, it was crazy, it was a hit within 15 minutes. No, it, it was insane. Like, I, How does that happen? Like, um, it, our marketing? Like, you know, when I was talking a little bit about sometimes prioritizing. To, like, I mean, I guess
1: you sent out a bunch of keys.
0: Yeah. So what happened is, so you asked the question, you know, the Kickstarter backers. Uh-huh. Kickstarter backers didn't get their keys till three days before. Right. So what happened is we, we sent off, you know, 6,000 keys. Because I think there was around six or 7,000 early access backers. Mm-hmm. Um, they got it like three days before, started playing it. We gave it to press. We gave it to streamers. Um, all of a sudden, people are like playing this game and no one can get it. And it, it – I mean, they liked it. Thank okay. God. Um, and, and at no point do we, did we ever think this is a foregone conclusion, by the way. Like it just – We've we've been nervous our whole development. I think it served us well, um, and even after early access started, we've been nervous the whole way through. As you know, some issues we had, mm-hmm. and uh, we so people are playing, 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 and enough press had been generated, and nobody could buy it. Mm-hmm. So we had a weekend of previewing, essentially, and then we launched on Tuesday.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't know. I mean, we don't have the magic bullet. It's just, or, or, or you know, this just worked in this case. Enough initial spike that people couldn't play it that they had missed out on the Kickstarter. We also didn't keep our 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 pre-ordering open forever. We shut it off several months before early access started. So there were people who were just waiting. Yeah, they they were they they couldn't get the game right, and um, so they got it. You know, and I I don't know. I'm continually surprised. I don't know how it happened that fast because. We wanted to launch at 9am, we had some problems, I had set something wrong in the Steam interface, it took the green button away, I'm like hurt, desperately emailing our Steam contact because we had told everyone it was live at 9 and people are already mad, you know, and whatever. got It got turned live at 10, you know, and at like 10.15, I remember looking at Kira's computer, <clears throat> and he's like, oh my god, we're number one or something. And we come over and he's like, oh sorry, that's in like new releases. You know, because there's a new release tab. And we're like, oh, you're crazy. Then he clicks over, and it's in number one. And I thought there was an error. I was like, no, no, refresh the browser. No, you pull it up on your computer. You pull (laughs) up your computer. Yeah. Yeah, we were just really fortunate. I I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it was a byproduct. Like, we, you know, because it wasn't split over time, because we didn't do a two-week period or period, um, nobody could get it until that moment. and But even that, I don't know, because, like, I didn't I had no idea so many people were waiting to buy it. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Kickstarter was successful, but we didn't, you know, our goal was to chart on Steam on some yeah. level and like hopefully crack the top ten, you know. And so no, we were incredibly surprised and and happy. I mean, it was it was yeah, there were tears were shed. I mean, hugs were exchanged, oh, like yeah. Chris and I the night before had like Basically, it was our running thing of all during development of like, oh, my God, how's it going to do? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, having late at night when mm. self-doubt and worry and, and you're looking at your bank account and you're just like, oh, God, you know, how's it going to do? But for like a month before, we had shut ourselves off. We're like, there's no use to talk about it anymore. We're launching in a month. So let's just fucking work on finishing it. Yeah. But the night before, we were like... I just hope it does well enough to make this all worthwhile. You know, like the same thing that anyone would ask. And, you know, I think even though we had had a successful Kickstarter, even though like there was interest in the game, you just never know. Like, I don't know. We never knew.
1: Yeah. All right. So what, uh, so it sold really, really well. And what was like, what did you learn in those first couple
0: months about the game? That like, gosh, a lot. Um, you know sure people start finding the balance problems right away this class sure. is so this is crazy these camping skills don't make any sense i don't understand how to do this like yeah. i don't even understand camping um, you know
1: I mean, was there was there anything fundamental about the way that you were making the game that that you learned or was it was it all of these
0: details um i think it was it was just a lot of ux a lot of balance mm-hmm. but no i i think it was I mean, because it, it did well. Well, okay, it sells well. That's one thing. It tells you that again, your your marketing is good. Like, mm-hmm. but then as it continued to tell, sell well, that told us people are enjoying it. Yeah, and and they were playing, and you know the play times were good. So, you know, so it, on day one, I guess you could say like we just had a good hype machine. Um, but for it to keep selling later is like, all right, they're enjoying it. They're legitimately yeah. enjoying it. And Steam reviews were good. I mean, they were in the night. I think it, it started out around ninety percent,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, maybe higher, and. That was higher than we thought, too, because we knew it was a game that was going to frustrate some people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even now, I think it hovers around 85. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's games like Crypt of the Necrodancer that are like 98 or 99 crazy percent Steam reviews. Mm -hmm. Um, But for us, a game that we knew would frustrate people, there's loss, like it's going to kick you in the nuts. I think 85 is like higher than we would have expected. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, no, I I think there was a lot of validation, like, in in particular, like, oh, thank God they're buying the Affliction system, you know, thank God they like the loop. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, they're confused on this, deservedly so, this is a terrible UI, or this is, or like I said, you know, yeah, the economy, I'm just, it's a miracle, it's as close as it is, (laughs) considering Mm -hmm. how much time I've spent on it. Um, So, I think there was a lot of validation, and just um, a lot of st- an endless stuff to sort out, and tech support, and you know, lots of feedback. But that that first couple of months um, was also characterized by just a lot of tolerance by the community, which was awesome. They were like, they're like, we know you're going to get to the class spots, we know you're going to get to this, and so a lot of people were just exposing the things, but not angry about it. You know, right. they're having fun.
2: Yeah, cool.
0: Yeah, so we just started amassing this list of like things to do, and meanwhile, we knew we had a lot of content to make. Um, you know and it very quickly because of the audience size though became like too much information to parse
2: mm-hmm.
0: it was like chris and i on the forums mm-hmm. managing the community yeah. i'm on facebook he's on twitter and meanwhile chris needs to be drawing art for the next stuff i need to be designing the next classes and monsters and yep you know our technical artist is doing the tech support along with the programmers mm-hmm. you know and they're fixing bugs and um all that stuff so you know, I think a little bit of being surprised by the level of success, you know, in this, you see this all over. It's the classic MMO example of the servers get clogged and then they break because you didn't expect so many people to buy it. And, you know, so it was a good problem to have. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, maybe it's time to start talking about corporate. <laughs> <God. laughs> So uh, you said in your talk that the the, init- the initiation of with us was you know like you, you, know, you found a number of balance problems and one of them mm-hmm. was that people were buzz sawing the first character
0: yeah in right? combat yeah. yeah
1: so you saw that and then you started thinking about how can I solve this problem
0: yeah it made combat shorter than it was uh, well not so much playtime like they were getting a lot of playtime but. They didn't need to use a lot of skills. Um, they were dominant characters because, right. like, characters it narrowed like, everything down. It just like, narrowed everything. Yeah. Like the move skills to. and debuffs and buffs weren't that important. Um, less important than we wanted. And uh, so that needed solved. Yeah. So we wanted to make it so that you had to. The original intent of combat was always what combination of skills and characters do I want to use against what combination of enemies? Not always just attack the front. So the the, the multi part solution that we came up with are corpses, um, which occupy the ranks even after the enemies are dead and preserve the order, and then also um, protection was a stat. It still is a stat, and there, there's ones like I would I would like to reduce some stats, but I switched to protection basically being direct damage mitigation. Like you know, like uh, essentially would have end up being a, a percent. Like oh, this will mitigate thirty percent damage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I changed that mechanic because it had been, I think, like armor points. Mm-hmm. Like protection of two meant it takes two points off each hit. And now I made it like damage mitigation. Mm-hmm. And I started giving a lot of enemies protection. So like, mm-hmm. oh, an armored enemy has protection. And that was another way to like pres- make prolonged combat. That was mm-hmm. intentionally to prolong combat and make some enemies like tur- turtles. Yeah. I thought that would enhance their characteristics. Like some are soft meat bags, some are these like carapace guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so between like corpses, protection, rebalance, damage, you know DPS, looking all that. Um, I thought that would. Make combat longer, make debuffs and buffs more meaningful, and we extended the duration of debuffs and buffs. Uh-huh. Instead of, like, be- debuffing them for a turn, now it would be, like, two turns or three turns. Trying to find that magic number where it's worth taking a turn at the beginning of combat to go, like, vulnerability hex yep. or something. Um, and then corpses. So all those together were meant to work in this s- s- blend of making combat closer to what we wanted it to just be. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, it was... Met with a lot of resistance, I guess yeah. is the best. All way. of those things together? like you know, Normally, just, they just hurt corpses. Yeah. Yes. And also, we did heart attacks a few right. weeks before, mm-hmm. which – so we, Chris and I have talked about this ad nauseum, but what we think it was is a total load thing, to be honest. I mean, it's yes – so cor- much, So much changed? Not just changed, but it made things harder than it was more, you know, more difficult than it was, uh, more unforgiving, like heart attacks. Now characters could just die instantly. Um, protection. Now you're hitting hero, you're hitting enemies and not doing those. You know, you used to do eight damage on a hit to an armored skeleton. Now you're doing four. Yeah. That feels less fun. Like, um, combats take a bit longer, which was intentional, but I'm just saying all those things and then corpses, which meant like you can't just buzzsaw. So I think a lot of people were just like, all of a sudden my strategies aren't working. My characters are dying. The game is harder. And I did rebalance because, honestly, like... We were watching streams, and you know this is like a danger you know every designer faces is you watch people who are good at the game yeah sure so we 're watching people that are good at about the game, doing dark runs where no one dies, no one gets afflicted
1: right right. you 're like oh this is uh, yeah, yeah and like I made
0: people are panicking and tell me like the stream i just watched him go through this level, and nobody yep. died, and so overall, we felt like it was too easy, so yep. I also jacked up like enemy damage and like <laughs> and uh, the stuff started multiplying with each other. Yeah, and it's yeah. worth it's worth reading. You can go out there and read my patch notes for the Corpse and Hound. It's the first time I wrote instead of bullet points of just what changed. Mm-hmm. I added because I knew there's a lot of changes, so I tried to add a lot of color to it. Yeah. and it's kind of jocular. I'm like, I'm like, the game's not hard enough. We want to kill more of your characters. Here's heart attacks because. Yeah. We had gotten a lot of marketing out of how hard it was, too. You know, like people come in, they get killed, they talk about it, they tweet about it. And so we were really embracing that, you know, because it had done well for us. And so I'm writing these patch notes. You can tell my mindset. I'm happy about it. I'm like excited about the changes, too. I really felt like we were enhancing the game and, you know, just wrote about, you know, and so, um, but it was a total load thing. I think it was just like we're moving your cheese, we're making it harder, we're kicking you in the nuts, we're changing your strategies. And some people, Thought it was awesome mm-hmm. and some people thought we ruined the game outright and you know so i don't want to mischaracterize like the whole community rebelled it wasn't it it was some people rebelled and the first thing that was hard is like how big is, you know how how vocal is this sure it's hard to tell you know like when you have a kickstarter and then you get an angry backer and they're um they're posting 10 messages it's hard to tell. Like, is this, is the whole community rebelling or just, you know, a subset? And that's really tough to tell. Mm-hmm. And it became very clear that some people were really happy, some people were really angry. You know, they're like, "I was having fun yesterday about this game. Now I'm not having fun." Mm-hmm. It was tough. <clears throat> did the
1: did the corp system change over time? Like, did could you adapt to this? Like, or the or sp- was it just eventually players?
0: Like the game, subtle um, new state, subtle changes. So you know, that's the crazy thing is no. I mean, we we kept the corpses. You know, long story short, we kept corpses. But there's a couple key things we did that I think made them more palatable. Um, you know, aside from just people getting used to it. And, of course, we added the toggle option where people can turn them off, and that remains in the game today. Um, Chris arted up. Uh, he made custom courses for every monster. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's more exciting, you know, and that when a pig beast man dies, you see a pig beast man like corpse. Mm-hmm. That keeps it in keeping with the presentation quality of the rest of the game. Um, we, we tidied up a lot of mechanics where, um, you know, we tuned how many hit points they have. We tuned how long they last. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we made it... Um, Another thing that was related to the whole length of combat were dots, poisons, uh, blights, and bleeds. Mm -hmm. And we rewarded you where, like, if you... uh, Gosh, I think if you kill a monster with a dot, it leaves no corpse. And then um, if if a monster has a dot and you kill it with a normal blow the the dots transfer to the corpse because mm. we were trying to strengthen dots. You know, we, we wanted to strengthen damage over time and, you right. know, tuning there. Like so now we kill two birds with one stone. Definitely. Like it was supposed to be a, like an overall set of things that would solve this problem. Not just like, yeah. you know, I mean,
1: from, from my impressions, I kind of wondered if you could just have been from the very beginning, had the corpses just last shorter time, mm-hmm. you know? And like, um, in terms of, you know, see how this changes, see how this changes this balance, I can mm-hmm. always turn it up more mm-hmm. right? later.
0: I think we started with three rounds, or maybe, I think three, and then I think they're at two now. Mm-hmm. One one was too short, I did try, but it was just like, you just ignore the corpse, They collapse, and onward with the... But it was definitely a total thing. Protection, um, the other thing like I messed up is just like, I scaled the protection too high, so by the time you got to level five, like some of them were so high that like, People were just getting massacred. Mm. So so another thing that helped, you know, eventually is just like, well, you know, I rebalanced. I, like, brought protection back down, realized that protection is not a fun mechanic. It just didn't feel good for people, so I, I, I reduced its importance. But I would increase, like, dot damage. And, mm. you know, so this is the beauty. You know, over time, I would like to think we dialed in the systems a lot better. Um, and so it just kind of was at that moment was too much. At the same time.
1: Uh, so here's the hard part. Like what's going what what's going on beyond if you take away the vitriol, yeah. Like what's going on is what early access is exactly it's, for.
0: Totally. Totally. I mean, I'm I am happy to out myself on the record of like and you you can just see it in the way I wrote those patch notes. I, I remember telling people on the team, like, if we can't experiment with game mechanics during early access, then what's the point? Right. Um and it's like you know, now that I went white as a ghost and lived through that experience, <laughs> it's like it might be a good theory, but you know, it, it's yeah. it's really tough. I mean, um, what would you do now if you're in the same situation? So if we did early access again, um, a, a couple things. I think I think general advice on early access is actually wait as long as possible to launch into early access until you really feel like your core loop is solid. We did okay. pretty good there but you know we didn't realize the combat problem to the full extent and yeah. i don't you know would have that, had to have faced that at some point yeah and i don't know that we would have foresaw so so i can't really say and go back and say we would have added corpses then cuz we didn't know we needed to yeah them. you
1: probably been in a worse situation if you launched later because yeah. then like you might have been in the middle of a corpse issue
0: like two months yeah. from launch instead of <laughs> you know 8 months from launch or whatever it was i think though expecting the magnitude of the change gives you more ability to deal with it. Uh, so, a couple of things: we didn't have a full-time community manager. We had Chris and I plus volunteers. Yeah. Um, so we didn't warn people this was coming. Yeah. Um, we called it the Corpse and Hound, but we were secretive. Yeah. Um, oh no, sorry. We put bullet points, but I mean that. I don't know what it means. Yeah. Um, we didn't deploy it into like a a, a, a test branch. Yeah. Um, so, like our lattice update, we deployed it a test branch for a few days and let, and told people about it, so go play it. Um, so I think change management, we could have warned people, talked to them, had community management in place, and been better able to negotiate their their disfavor with it. Um, you know, I think like, thinking about like, toggle options, we could have launched with a toggle option, Yeah. and immediately, the because the interesting thing, you know, another learning from it is, when we did put the toggle option in, so if you take the subset of people who are extremely unhappy with the feature, mm-hmm. you further break that into subsets. You have a subset of people that have no agenda that are like, I was having fun yesterday. I'm not having fun today. I don't like corpses. Yeah. Take corpses out. I'm having fun again. Thank you, guys. I love the game. Right. That's a significant part of that subset. And then there's or that corpse hating right. public. Yeah. And then there's a few people that are just will never forgive you for just, you know, being an idiot or whatever it is, um, and they ha- they have an agenda. They they're angry that you know that you did it in the first place, and it's tough to even regain their trust. That you know, and then some of them you can regain the trust, and then some people are are literally just they're angry with corpses, they're angry with something else you did. They've decided you don't know what they're doing, what you're doing. And they, you you can never earn them back. Um. And, but I think the point is that that's small and, you know, you keep fragmenting more and more. And so the toggle option is great because, like, we could have launched with toggle options, seen how it went, mm-hmm. measured how many – told people about them, told, seen how many people turned them off mm-hmm. and then made a decision. Be like, oh, we made a mistake or this is fixable. Like, people don't like it, but I think we can fix it. Um. You know, Chris w- would say, and he's not wrong, that – uh. Because we had had such a high standard presentation that experimenting was fine, but we should have experimented with a full polish version, mm. um, which of course has its own problems because that means you have to take every feature to its conclusion before yeah. testing it. But I mean, these are just some of the hazards of early access in a big community. Yeah. I think maybe early access in a small, like you were talking about, like a... An opted in selection of like private beta users. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as big a deal because they know what they're getting into. Yeah. But the reality is, some people buy your early access game and don't even know it's early access. Right. That's,
1: yeah, I have an issue with
0: that. Even with Steam, Steam you know, and Steam tried to fix that with the branding and big blue yeah. text boxes. But I, I, I gave a lecture at Simon Fraser University and someone came up and they said, I love the game. I put 55 hours in. And I didn't know it was early access. And I was like, And But it's branded. Like, it says it all over. There's yeah, a big yeah. blue thing. When you buy it, you know, like... Yeah.
1: I think in some sense, if they see everyone else playing it, they almost mm-hmm. like they just don't think of it that way, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so some people aren't opted in. I guess the point is, no matter how much you, you try to tell them, some people are not expecting that this may s- substantially change. Yeah.
1: The, um, so with Offworld, the big contentious thing throughout our project has been the stock system. Okay. That's been really hard to get right. Like what it means, Mm -hmm. how you what, and it makes sense because it's the thing that ends the game. It's Mm -hmm. the thing that kills you, right? And so it's got oh, because you get
0: bought out or something. Yeah, you get bought out,
1: right? So we've had a lot of (laughs) different iterations on that, Um, and we've tried some like radically different models. You know, like Mm -hmm. like there was a majority buyout thing, whereas if they get. If they get over six of you instead of all of it, you'd like die immediately. There was like a destroy buyout mode to make managing people mm-hmm. easier, whereas when you buy someone, basically like all their buildings blow up and they all their claims get returned. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a mode where you can force buy their stock one by one by it. Anyway, I mean it's it's beyond the scope of this podcast to explain all these <laughs> things. But basically, each time through, I was like, there's this new thing coming, mm-hmm. but the default is still the same. Okay. There's now a new game
0: option. Oh, I see. Oh, that's um, cool! Yeah, and, that you have to opt into.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. And so, and the hardcore players were excited to try out the new option. What I usually also did, and of course, this works was well a multiplayer game, is that I would then normally do a tournament right after the beta update. Mm-hmm. That was okay. We're doing this little tournament, um, and these aren't huge things. It means mm-hmm. like sixteen mm-hmm. people, maybe right? But um, we're, we're doing a, a tournament. If you want to sign up for, well, if you want to play at the tournament, you have to play with the
0: oh yeah, okay. with the new feature. It's like Magic Seal, or yeah, whatever, or like. Yeah, something where like you can't use that or must use this. Or. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's cool. And so you force adoption of it.
1: Yeah, and these are the people who want to try. They want to. They know that you know I'm listening mm-hmm. to them, and so they want to try the new thing. And I I need, I need them to try the new thing. and mm-hmm. I want the best players to try the new thing because I want to see how how they're going to do with it. So
0: yeah, I, I think the reality is it's it's a thorny issue because uh, ultimately corpses we feel were the right decision for the game, mm-hmm. and so I think made, I think we rolled them out. Like in in hindsight, we rolled them out. I wish we'd done it with early access launch, but we didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, We we rolled them out abruptly without the proper community management and ability to test it in place. And had it truly been a gameplay experiment, which it was, but I mean, uh, we should have we should have tested it. Yeah. And once we were sure that it was right, so the learnings are like major changes need to be like you know. I think of it like maybe um, you buy a fish at the fish store and you you don't come in and just dump it in the tank cause the temperature change will kill it. So you like have it in its little thing. <laughs> and he like, so that's what you did. That's smart. Yeah, and right. you know, I think we just, we've gotten better at managing a live game as we've gone through this. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, th- I think when we initially in early access, you're just so focused on getting there, you know, you're maybe not totally aware of like what it takes to manage a live game. Yeah. And you know, even though I had run a mobile live game, um, we just had too much you know so we learned from that you need more infrastructure you need more support but ultimately like you got to make these hard choices that are like we believe this is right for the game and if this alienates some people we're going to stand by it and you know but we we only arrived at that after going through this experience and and emerging the other side and saying man i'm going to stand up there and get shot again but i still believe corpses are right we're leaving Mm -hmm. it in yeah. So it's like I think it's hard to avoid all landmines, but we can certainly be smarter about how we, you know, how we, instead of running through the minefield, we'll do a little bit more prodding. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I just think I think early access as a concept is like super important mm-hmm. for game development. Like, I'm just, I really want to be able to get to the place where it was working for everyone, right? Yeah, you know, for the developers and the fans, and then, you know, it's like. You know, you you weren't happy about the fact that people were suddenly not enjoying the game, right? You know, oh, it's, it's the worst. I mean, so but you know, but then again, like that's like we said, like that's the, that's the whole point of early access. So it's 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 this totally messy thing, you know. Like, and uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll be figuring. Hopefully we'll be figuring it out. And I I hope that I hope Valve is like thinking about this stuff as well. Yeah, and, like making sure people know what they're getting into.
0: It's kind of funny because people say like. They'll talk about Kickstarter difficulties or, you know, community management difficulty, whatever. Same thing with Early Access. Or, like, when I give the Corpse and Hound story, people are like, oh, so you'd never do Early Access again, I assume. I'm like, no, I'm pro-Early Access, pro-Kickstarter. <gasps> Darkest Dungeon would not be here without both of them. Sure. And... It's not just a matter of, like, being grateful for them. They served ex- extremely important roles in our development. And when we do the next game, we will definitely consider them. I don't know whether we'll do them, but I'm not against them. Like, yeah. I just think we'll be we'll have lots more information. I look at, like, Hairbrain Schemes is a great example of... They've gone back to the Kickstarter well multiple times. They've built up a great infrastructure. They know how to manage them. They know how to do it. It's been reliable for them. You know, I think that's just the thing is, like, you... Every time you do something the first time, you, you, you know, I mean, and they've both been a success for us too. So it's like, right. we've had our mistakes, we've made our fair share of mistakes, but ultimately they have netted out positive and, um, but you just learn, yeah, you, you learn a lot and it's not without the harrowing moments. And I think that, I think even if we did a second early access right now, you know, new game, I think no matter what we did, we'd have another harrowing moment. It just yeah. might not be the same or, you know, it, it we might manage the community really well, but then... You know, I don't know. Yep, it's tough. It's, I think every every game is going to have its 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 tests. You know, they might come during development or team funding. You know, it's just uh, you just try to get a little smarter each time and not make the same mistakes again. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, cool.
1: Do you want? Should we talk about the launch then? Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, uh, like how did you guys put any thought into like how to make sure the launch? I mean, I'm sure you put some thought into it, but like talk about. Making sure that the launch was a big deal, right? right.
0: Yeah, um, we did. And, you know, we kind of followed the same playbook from Early Access because Early Access, we we, in fact, we we basically followed the exact same playbook. We tried to get some streamers set up that would, like, stream it immediately. Um, we did a small amount of ad buys. We uh, tried to come up with a reason for them to play. Um, which, in the case of early access, was you can't play the game until now. Um, in the case of full release, that that was why we really, um, it was really important to us not to release the Darkest Dungeon beforehand. Yeah. We wanted a reason for people to go back, and the risk was it, we didn't get a lot of playtesting on it. Sure. Um, but we felt we could fix it within a couple days, you know, of like if, if it was, we got enough to know it would work, it was completable. If it was too easy or too hard, a little bit, then, you was know. Was that only tested internally? Uh, no, we we actually got smarter. We um, when we brought our community manager, uh, we we signed up a, a group of about twenty or thirty okay. fans. So you did have a test, we, yeah. We had a private, um, yeah, and that that was really really good. I mean that that was amazing. I mean yeah. so helpful. Like we had one guy in particular that was just, uh, or a couple. There was two or three that were just. I can't believe, yeah, the time they spent, the yeah. detailed notes they wrote up. And... It's the
1: the other end of the bell curve,
0: yeah. In terms of like you know people
1: who are like committing to help helping your project versus the you know the bad end, but like the the, the other yeah. end of the bell curve is amazing. <laughs> oh, like the, it, the type of people who are out there who are you know want to help you, and yeah. You know like are fully involved in the project and learn everything about it. It's it's always it's it's incredible.
0: Yeah, so I mean, we learned. You know, I, I like to think we you know we learned during early access. We we continuously put in better processes and you know i think we still there was things that we could have done better but it's it's by the end you know by the finally by now it's like we you know we know how to handle community we know how to roll things out to preview you know um and and yeah in this case we we use them on the december patch which was the all of a sudden i can't remember is the uh, 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 the transforming guy the um Abomination. abomination right. Gosh. Um, so we we used them on the Abomination branch, uh-huh. or te- and that was so that was our test run to prepare to use them for Dark's Dungeon, yeah. and that was a huge saving. Or yeah, got way better position before we launched, mm-hmm. and then we used them yeah you know, for the Dark's Dungeon. Yeah everything came together there. We got the right staffing in place. We got the right community management in place, the right testers, um, you know, so that helped a lot. And then marketing-wise, you know, we did comics. We, uh, you know, it it was hard to know everything that worked. But I think, you know, the main thing was just like, hey, now you can complete the game. (laughs) That's a pretty big deal. Steam achievements we added. So um, the the thing that we didn't do as well as we would have liked is – We originally wanted to get press builds out to people at least when we could advance more, like two, Mm. because you know it's a long game, and um, and we got them out like Friday afternoon, and we were launching Tuesday (laughs) or Monday. Right. Yeah. So what that meant is you know we didn't have all the reviews waiting for when the game came out. so we didn't get as big of a sp- spike, and also people could buy it they could still be buying it so um so launch was successful, but like nowhere near early access successful sure. and uh and then reviews trickled in over the course of the first you know week or two weeks, and then eventually like a few reviews like polygon came like a month later, <laughs> you know, but it's fair 'cause like you he had to play a lot and it was a tough game yeah. and yeah, yeah. um so you know we we didn't like do as awesome as like getting all the day one coverage set up yeah. but you know, it um it was definitely we had a lot of organic streamer uptake again and yeah, really grateful for all that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, well that and then and then now, yeah, I mean I don't know when people will hear this, but now we because we had marketed towards that January nineteenth release date and it became clear that we weren't gonna get all the features done that we wanted. Um and so we had to take a couple of this Kickstarter stretch goals and, and say we're gonna do these post launch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we've already gotten a bunch of those done. We got this merchant class, the antiquarian, out uh, last mm-hmm. week. Well, of course, by now it'll be weeks, you know, <laughs> when they hear it. But, um, and then we're going to finish up town events, which is a stretch goal. Um, and that'll be a free update. And so, we're still actually developing the game because sure. we're, and then we're, you know, tuning and we're doing some anti, we did some anti grind stuff. Uh, so, it's, we've kind of continued on. What'd I don't want mean? to say like early access, but we, we feel like there's more we need to do before we can just actually say it's done. Done. Step away from the game. Yeah, and I think that's you're not you're not ready
1: for your next racing game
0: yet. No, God. Oh no. <laughs> oh no, it's time, isn't it? It's time. Oh man. Oh. I'm gonna have to do it just to keep traditional. Maybe I can do a, a forty eight hour game jam yeah, of a racing there. game and just yeah. I got you, gods of, of of chance. You didn't say how long I had to spend on this right. game. <laughs> anyway, yeah cool
1: well um so we've probably covered covered i think yeah i don't think there's
0: anything else in my life that
1: so the one question that i usually like to ask at the very end though is looking back at all the stuff you've done you know why not just darkest dungeon yeah everything okay all the racing games oh man (laughs) why have you dedicated your career to making games why have i what sorry why have you dedicated your
0: career to making games it doesn't feel like an exciting answer but uh there's two things um games have just been such an important part of my life that i've enjoyed they've they've been so impactful in giving me entertainment and teaching me things and you know there's just nothing else i've enjo- you know growing up it just was so important for me entertainment wise um and then i think the the second critical part is it's over time, I've just learned it's a match to my skill set. I mean, mm-hmm. I dabbled in writing, you know, I dabbled in engineering. Uh, well, more than dabbled, I guess, but, <laughs> but, you know, creatively, you know, done some different things. And, you know, I think you find it, it feels like this is my calling, not – not it feels good to be good at what you do. Yeah, or or it's just – I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the bottom line is – um. Because it sounds too pretentious you enjoy, to say. you enjoy the process, the actual... I legitimately idea. enjoy the process. And I think that um, that's why I stopped doing writing regularly, is I realized that I liked having written, but I really didn't enjoy writing. Mm. And mm. I think a lot of people, you know, it's... it's. I think there's a lot of things we think about in life that we want to have done. Yeah. But every if I'm going to be spending something every day, I want to enjoy doing it and games inspire me i like the challenge the blend of technical and creative is amazing mm-hmm. um it feels like you can never learn it all and you're always you always have to be humble because you know you you solve the problems on the last one and you can always be cognizant of the things you messed up and then you do the next one and it's totally different technology is new the the concept is new that you got to innovate something and I think stagnation and boredom is something I just intensely fear, mm-hmm. and uh, games are like I mean maybe too far the other way. There's a few times I'd like to just mail one in, you know, and just like but um but it's it's exciting, and ultimately, I think I was just inspired by uh, leaving a legacy honestly of I don't know i want I wanted to have something like I've been on this world, and I've done something that is worthwhile. And, you know, it's sad because I'm not, I'm not like saving people's lives and, but for me, entertainment, you know, is amazing mm-hmm. books and movies and, you know, I don't have to save lives. I don't have to be the president. I don't have to, um, be a Nobel prize winner. Um, if I can just like make some things that people enjoy and inspires them to get through the day and I don't know, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well,
1: thanks for, thanks for the lengthy podcast yeah it was (laughs) fun talking about everything
0: it ended up being really fun so hopefully uh, you know if anyone who's gotten to the end uh, man they deserve an (laughs) achievement (laughs)
1: yeah
0: I think people enjoyed it cool